You are listening to the Super Freak Media Podcast Network. If you like this podcast, please be sure to show your support and follow us on our other social media platforms. Check out the links listed in the description of this episode to find out more. Thank you. So a trigger warning before this month's episode, we will be discussing some heavy and hard topics, uh, including sexual assault and sexual violence. You have been pre-warned, but we do it with taste and we will be discussing it with the sincerity it deserves. I mean, I would like a council estate version of this, maybe where Brenda's down the high street and she offs Paul with a leg of lamb or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do feel like In that Iceland. would be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why mum's going to Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> Hello, and And welcome to the Bear Career Podcast, the podcast where two homos called Liam decide to fall in love with the wrong people. <laughs> up their lives <laughs> and make men suffer for the crimes that they deserve. <laughs> well, it's a very special Perfect. episode this month. Uh, we are joined by Zoe Cutter. I am Liam J. You should all know that by now. If you don't, where yeah. have you been? Get a life! Get- <laughs> um, yeah. Hi, everyone. Hello. 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 How, Hello. how are you today? Good. Tired. Um, Tired. I Warm. spent, yeah, I was outdoors until 3 a.m. watching a meteor shower. So, yeah. I did. made plenty of wishes last night, so if none of them come true, I'll be absolutely fuming. <laughs> I love that for you. That, I, I do. That that sounds that sounds lovely. How are you doing, Zoe? Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm fine, thank you. I'm excited to join you guys. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be good fun. And uh, yeah, apart from uh, slowly cooking away in my living room, I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, uh, we are recording this on an incredibly hot weekend again, so we've got some hot topics of discussion, and it's incredibly hot. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. Some bunnies are being boiled tonight. <laughs> probably by accident. They, it's yeah. probably not even intentional. So um, this month we will be discussing one of my favourite movie tropes. Uh, we'll be discussing all things femme fatales. So unlike previous episodes, we won't be discussing one film in particular. Just like our Screen Queens episode, we will be discussing in depth the whole trope of femme fatales and some movies that follow those archetypes and our, just our thoughts and musings on them, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, honestly, I'm so excited to record this episode. When you suggested the subject to me, I was like, that's definitely a slice of, of the genre we've not yet tackled. And yeah. I thought, who who's more perfect to talk about this with than, than you, Zoe? So <laughs> um, just giving a bit of context as to, I suppose, how I, I know you, Zoe was my lecturer in college um, for film studies and hands down the most incredible lecturer. Honestly, I had the most amazing time while I was at college learning about stuff. Um, mm. And you actually introduced me to the the archetypes and the characters that that I talk about quite a lot in horror now, and um, but in particular femme fatales. So thank you, thank you for your service. 
<laughs> well, uh, I'll say you're welcome in advance, but yeah, we'll see if I actually uh, contribute anything useful. But um, I'm happy to to discuss. You know, this stock character. Uh, I think it's a it's a great kind of character type to to discuss, especially around gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think it's interesting as well because we're going to have a look at I think four films in total on this this episode. All right, that's good. Okay, 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 that's good. That's good. It's it's enough slices. But there has definitely been somewhat of an evolution, I think, within the character. Obviously, from its roots, uh, maybe back in the early days, but particularly even in with these more modern examples, there has been a bit of a change with these characters and I suppose attitudes towards them. So I think getting into the the meat of it, as you like to say, Liam, I do have the Oxford Dictionary definition of what a femme fatale is. So I don't mind reading this to you and seeing if you guys 100% agree. So a femme fatale literally translates from French to mean fatal woman. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an attractive and seductive woman, especially one who is likely to cause distress or disaster to a man who becomes involved with her. Good for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, incredible. I mean, other names she goes by are uh, Maneater or Vamp. I think her origins lie... Uh, particularly in noir films and i think there has always been a history of demonizing sexually powerful women all the way all the way back to biblical days when lilith was shunned for being a powerful woman this is it (laughs) but sorry you you introduced femme fatales to me i know there were some examples particularly in noir like classic noir films um, Mm -hmm. that we kind of like looked at so is there is there something about this character in particular or this archetype that you enjoy so i would say what i um enjoy about these stories is that they're you know that involve uh femme fatale characters is that that they tend to be allegorical that they're meant to serve um a political moral message about kind of what gender norms are and you know what happens if you transgress those norms um Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to say at the start that, you know, especially if we link it to American cinema, in particular, femme fatales have existed in uh, since 20th century in, in kind of the arts, in, in literature, but in particular in relation to American cinema, um, they, they did really sort of become a stock character in the 40s and 50s um, in, in noir. And as you mentioned from the dictionary definition, they're there to, they use their feminine sort of wiles, they use the sexuality to uh, gain power over men, which usually involves them doing their bidding. Mm-hmm. Often it's, uh, you know, persuading this this poor unsuspecting guy to, to knock off their husband for them, you know. So I definitely mentioned films like Double Indemnity, uh, you know, or anything with Barbara Stanwyck in. Um, she's fantastic. Um, but I would say if we just go back a little bit earlier, um, a film I would mention um, briefly, which is brilliant to have a look at for a very early sort of prototype of a femme fatale is actually a film called Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, which is a silent film. Ooh, and okay. they don't even have character, they don't even have names. They have like, they're meant to represent universal types. So you've got the husband, the wife, or, or he's sometimes called the man, and you've got the woman from the city. 
And it was okay. made in the late 1920s with F.W. Murnau. You'll love this because you'll remember Murnau from Nosferatu. Yeah. And in this film, she plays uh, the woman from the city is a flapper. And okay. she's essentially trying to persuade this man to murder his wife. And <laughs> As you do. Move to, to the city. Yeah. So I think um, even though the origins of the uh, femme fatale, um, you know, generally are linked with in American cinema of the 40s and mm -hmm. 50s, I think we have to look up the way women's behaviour changed in the 20s and the flapper mm. movement. And reasons behind that was, well, we have post-World War One, so lots of people, specifically if we talk about America now, lots of people died in World War One, but mm. more people died of Spanish flu. So a long life wasn't guaranteed. And as a result, women in particular started to reject Victorian ideals of family and motherhood, they cut their hair shorter, they wore looser clothes, um, they went out and prohibition as well, they, they were drinking and they were smoking and, and having a brilliant time. Um, but all <laughs> of that, yeah, it sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> but all of these things and this idea of a good time girl meant that they were rejecting the, the traditional yeah. roles of women and I think that from that we then start to see kind of the femme fatale in cinema where essentially the key things about this is that they do reinforce heteronormative values mm -hmm. the, the femme fatale is meant to be a cautionary tale for men to mm -hmm. to not get involved with a woman like this and in a way it was a cautionary tale for women that because what happens to the femme fatale character is that generally they meet a sticky ending you know, yeah. they either they get arrested or they they get killed. So mm -hmm. essentially, if, if you behave like this, if you transgress social norms, you're you're going to end up, you know, paying the price. So mm -hmm. I do think that there is a lot in here about women kind of not conforming to gender roles, and yeah. if they don't then, uh, you know, that there is a price to pay. It's a very interesting concept. And I mean, opening it up to, to both of you, do you see this figure of the femme fatale then as empowering or do you see it as somewhat limiting? Uh, I think it always depends on um, the way that she's written and who is directing her. So I always think of in Gone Girl, I feel like that's, even though she's supposed to be villainized, for me, that's the, like, if you look on Twitter, all the gays talk about, Gone Girl as the <laughs> as the biggest good for her film. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I do believe that that's the way that she's written. Whereas you know, um, ideals towards like someone like Alex Forrest from Fatal Attraction and people just like it, it's both fit the same archetype, but one of them mm. you're like, she's nuts. Whereas the other mm. one you're like, actually she's she's got her head screwed on. So I think it is all a matter of perspective. I'm always gonna fight their corner because I always feel like men deserve every single come up and <laughs> come into men the are picks, men are picks, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I probably one of my favorite archetypes, um mm. one of my favorite like subgenres of Ben Patels is a black widow. I love a black widow. Mm -hmm. First fell yeah. in love with first fell in love and found out about the Black Widow archetype when I watched Adam's Family Values as a child and I <laughs> wanted to be Debbie Jelinski so badly um, <laughs> but, but because of her character I then you know went and saw a lot of other films um, that were a lot more serious but yeah I always do think it's a it's a matter of perspective matter from of perspective, who's, yeah. who's writing who's directing in terms of 
the the films then that we're looking to cover it, it we've got an exciting uh, variety we're going to take you guys all the way from fatal attraction um all the way through to gone girl so we've got a more modern day kind of interpretation then uh, mm. uh, of this character then as well so i don't know if we want to kick off with with fatal attraction because we've got a lot to cover uh, on the episode asking you guys then how did you first watch this film because i think it's out of the examples maybe with basic instinct as well which is another film we'll discuss i think it's probably the most infamous uh, yeah. and one that's yeah. still bleeds into pop culture even yeah. now. i mean it, co- it coined a it coined a term that is used in everyday vernacular nowadays the term body boiler mm-hmm. um yeah. stems from that film i first found out about it from it was there was something on channel four that was like 100 scariest moments in a oh game. yeah yeah it was it was must have been when i was like 10 or 11 um i think i found out a lot yeah about a lot of films from that program, yeah, so, so yeah and um <laughs> yeah that scene was like was up there and i was like oh i didn't want to watch it because i was like i don't want to see a buddy die <laughs> but um but then when i saw that it was glenn close and mm. it's weird for a child to say that like as a child for me to have idolized cruella Deville in the live action <laughs> But in the live action 101 Dalmatians, she her performance and the fashion of Cruella like <laughs> was made it was made for me. And I you're was actually like, wearing Ooh. half white and half black today. So is this your little homage to, yeah. to Cruella? And the grey hairs are coming through. So yeah, oh. that's how I that's how I discovered the film because I was like, I've got to watch it with Glenn Close in it. And then mm-hmm. my auntie had it on VHS. And she was like, oh, you don't want to watch that. That's, oh, you don't want to watch that. That's not for you. And I was like, I don't care. I'm watching it. But yeah, watched Incredible. it. And um, I, was, I was quite scared. Yeah. I, I do think it, it is very, very scary in places. Yeah. And I think it's this the, is why... The third act... It fits into it fits into the conversation, particularly, obviously, that with this being mm. a primarily horror podcast. I do think... Yeah. It is very much a, a horror film. I mean, it is described online as a thriller slash drama. Um, yeah. But I would also add horror to that. because It's, it's, a, it's a very menacing film, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. You know, it's that oh, sure. constant low-level sort of tension and, and sense of, of threat and danger throughout the film. Yeah, yeah. No, a- a- absolutely. I mean, well, giving an overview of the film, Fatal Attraction mm-hmm. is a 1987 film. It's directed by Adrian Lynn and stars Glenn Close as Alex Forrest and Michael Douglas as Dan Gallagher. Um, they're pretty much the two main players in this story and i think what you touched on upon as well zoe about femme fatales really existing as a figure that represents the consequences maybe of what happens when you transgress these societal mm-hmm. boundaries i mm-hmm. think a very easy reading of this <clears throat> film is that you see michael douglas's character dan as this yuppie hetero guy who's got everything he's got the perfect family perfect job perfect career but he's still able to be tempted by this force of nature that is Alex Forrest and then mm. has to live with the consequences and that yeah. living with the consequences mm-hmm. comes with potential threats of death. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think yeah. it's it's very easy to look at this film and think that it maybe demonises women, particularly single and sexually active women. Yeah. I would argue, though, my reading of this is that I don't feel like Alex is the villain at all. 
in this film. I think very much Dan is the villain in this film. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it it maybe depends on perspective. But Billy Boylan aside, yeah, we, we can if if we if we take that out, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 killing of bunnies and violence. Yeah, we, uh, we'll get rid of that. She I was just having a bad day. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like it also is dependent on the audience on who's going to be villainized. Because I going into this film was already immediately like, "What's he done? What's he done to this?" <laughs> um, he he told me what him. he did. What I found interesting about this one is none of the others really go into any sort of like well they do and they don't but this one really emphasizes like mental health being a con- contributing factor mm-hmm. to, yeah. to alex's like actions which as it gets you'd think that that conversation would then progress with later films which it doesn't really if it's no. everyone becomes a bit more of a stock character but what yeah. i really enjoyed about it is it really did give alex some meat she wasn't just like an enigma uh we mm. actually learned quite a lot about her which is great mm-hmm. and i i think glenn close gives maybe one of the performances of a lifetime in this um, oh absolutely yeah i think yeah. she she could it could have tipped into the realm of camp really easily and it tiptoes that line a lot but she's mm-hmm. got such a gravitas to a performance that mm-hmm. she oh it's it's chilling it's so chilling i think what you said zoe about i mean zoe you mentioned a really valid point i think before we jumped on the podcast uh, because i do think it does tiptoe that line with camp but i think the menacing side of things is maybe what keeps it from teetering over into silly you also made a really valid point though zoe about the fact that you didn't necessarily think that this film or this character was a femme fatale and it did link in with her mental health issues yeah so she's definitely been written about as a femme fatale over the years and Mm. there's been a a lot of you know um studies you know and around the psychology of of her character um and initially she does kind of demonstrate some of those traits she does seem to um what what do femme fatales want and their ultimate goal is independence and Mm. she's an independent career woman um she's 36 she's not married you know and uh, she's not sat down and, and she seems to be as she said she's you know seems sexually free and you know she does seem to be actively uh, pursuing this this relationship with Dan however you know the, the the thing that marks her out as different is that femme fatales um and I guess we'll get on with it go on to this with the other films so often the women show psychopathic traits mm-hmm. um Alex does not have psychopathic traits to me no. she's too impulsive She's too unstable. Recontextualizing the film now, looking at her behavior, there is an early suicide attempt where Mm. she she tries to prevent Dan from leaving her over this weekend affair. It's quite clear that she's a a disturbed woman. You know, since then, psychologists have, have kind of said she's a classic example of someone who has borderline personality disorder, delusional, um, a delusional personality, clearly Mm. is depressed and suicidal. Mm. And I feel that. For those reasons, she, she isn't a classic femme fatale for me as, as the film uh, develops. What she is to me is a disturbed, you know, um, woman. And mm. and it is, nevertheless, it's a cautionary tale of who you get involved with and oh, not yeah. really knowing 
you know what 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 you've let yourself in for i guess but i think one thing that is worth talking about with this film is that you you've mentioned the bunny boiler scene um and that leaked into uh you know culture it's a phrase that people might even use and don't even know where it comes from now yeah oh 100 uh, percent. quite yeah. old and i think growing up it was a film i grew, just grew up with because i grew up in the 80s and it was a, definitely a blueprint for um, you know what happens if you don't get chosen and you're not loved you know that people kind of and still it is in culture that if you're not settled down by a certain age it's a why not what's wrong with you yeah. and, and Alex definitely seems to reinforce well there's clearly a reason why she's she's kind of uh, unstable and, and, and single because she's the way she is but mm. there's the angle of the ending which I think is worth discussing um, which mm. is that the ending where you know uh, she's crept into the house and then Dan finds her trying to, you know, kill his wife and he and there's that iconic kind of jump scare where she leaps back out the bath and shoots mm. her. Yeah. Um, but, but that wasn't the original ending of the film. No. Okay. Um, and the original ending No, so the well, so throughout the film um, there's references to Madame Butterfly. Mm -hmm. um, that being her favourite opera, and she even comes to visit Dan in the office, where she 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 wants to apologise for. Her Is this where she's got the incredible leather jacket on? Because oh. we just need to take yeah. a moment for that yeah, leather jacket. That okay. Leather I'm glad you bought that jacket dress. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Queen Skinny Legend Versace boots the house down. Slay Queen. Can, can, can you focus? <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, guys, sorry. No, it is a fantastic jacket. I'll give you that. And she she offers it to take him to the opera to see Madame yeah. Butterfly. And the original ending of the film would have tracked the story of Madame Butterfly, which is about um, a Japanese woman who is married off to an American serviceman, but she's quite happy with this arrangement. He goes back to America and abandons her. She has a son. She spends a long time waiting for his return. So it's about mm. unrequited love, really. Mm. And then when he, he comes back, he's coming for the son, not for her. And he's brought a new wife with him. And she says she agrees to see him one more time. Uh, let him have the son if she agrees to see him one more time. And then before he arrives, I think this is the right ending, she kills herself. Yeah. In the original ending of uh, Fatal Attraction, it ends with her cutting her throat to the soundtrack, you know, the score of Madame Butterfly. Mm. And and for me, that was a really powerful ending. And if you haven't seen mm. it, it's very much worth watching. Um, mm. And that was the original ending. They reshot the ending that then became the iconic one with him shooting her in the bath six months later and Glenn mm. Close was really not happy about it she kicked up a lot of fuss about it um, mm. because she felt like it, it just kind of diminished Alex's character to being a psycho killer yeah um, absolutely she was she was outvoted and um, in the end was told look you're gonna have to suck it up and I think that it would help reinforce this idea that Alex was in many ways a tragic character yeah yeah absolutely i mean i i i also read about this because i think it was following a test screening that i think they then yeah. shot the, the the ending um and my big takeaway from it was the fact that obviously the ending we get only uh, alex is punished for for these transgressions yeah. and that's mm -hmm. a big problem because yeah. originally when she did commit suicide dan i believe was then imprisoned because obviously he was being held responsible so he did lose his family 
he was also yeah. then being held responsible for the fact that he'd ruined this woman's life. Whereas instead, she's drowned by Dan. She turns into some kind of Michael Myers supervillain, comes back yeah, to life, absolutely. and then gets shot by Beth. Yeah. So that's then she's now becoming like this embodiment of conservative family values and set, literally yeah. shooting the person who's threatening their marriage when it takes two to tango literally like mm. she should have shot him as well <laughs> like if yeah. that's her attitude was, yeah i'm always i'm always really like no matter how many times i watch it i get to the end and i'm just like oh so, like, I mean, I do like I just, the ending. That's not to yeah. say I don't. I I do love no. it, and I mean, it is yeah. iconic when she comes out of the bathtub. Absolutely. Don't but know, if you I, haven't mm. seen the the original ending, um, it's worth watching because it definitely changes the tone of the film mm. and how you see Alex's character, and it really does align you with her, and you mm. really feel yeah. that empathy for a woman who. Yeah, you know, clearly um, had um, very serious issues. I think it is a shame, yeah, that we did we did move away from that. And I mean, I, I mean, again, going back to the context of the film, this was the end of a decade where the AIDS epidemic had kind of broke out. Obviously, mm. people were worried about extramarital sexual activities anyway and now yeah. there is this risk that um obviously something could literally kill you if you did engage in that so again i think she was very much a representation of that side of things but for mm. uh heterosexual people but then there was an escalate there was escalating rates of divorce at the time so people weren't happy in their marriages they were getting out uh, there was reagan era politics still rife there was there was a lot going on and it's a shame i think that they did have this opportunity to actually make people responsible and mm. stick that ending and instead yeah. we are left with something that well, gives us this bunny I boiler think that's something to do with the director because the, the director's do known a little bit yeah because the director's known to be like i feel like it was heavily like all every film i've watched by them i've just had a quick look mm. to look through what i've seen and every film i always feel like there's a well-written female character in there who then completely get sidetracked like even even mm. something as like silly as Flashdance and I know that sounds silly <laughs> but just finding out that he's directed Flashdance and I'm like oh, okay like <laughs> I mean a bit of a departure isn't it Going, yeah. Uh, yeah but like but yeah it, they also did nine and a half weeks so it has a thing for steamy films by the looks of it <laughs> um, nine and a half yeah. weeks Indecent Proposal Lolita Unfaithful and there's something coming up called Deep Water. I think that's being kind of it. tagged as the next kind of erotic yeah. femme fatale kind of Yeah, and thing, it's... So. Yeah, uh, also, somebody who's no stranger to the genre as well stars Michael Douglas, who seems to enjoy these films where... Yeah, um, And Absolutely. then is, is married to somebody who I would say embodies a real-life femme fatale. You reckon? Um, yeah. Well, she is as well. I always see her as Belle McKelly. Like, I don't see her in any <laughs> other roles. So, and that's a femme fatale. One thing, we, we briefly touched on it uh, and we tried to stay on topic, but I really do need to talk about Alex's wardrobe for it, just for a moment. Thank you. Alex's wardrobe <laughs> choice is absolutely incredible. I mean, obviously, there's, there's the whole... She's always wearing white, apart from one scene, but I love, like, the black leather coat dress in particular but our first introduction to her when she said that um at that gala that ball that the yeah. oh my god i want i think I she's want incredible her. she's absolutely yeah. incredible the way the way that she's dressing this i really like that she looks successful as well like her yeah. apartment i liked that she had a really good career her apartment was gorgeous i want that apartment so badly apart from the weird I think you need a new bathroom though 
Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But, um, <laughs> oh, one, th- one thing that terrified me throughout this, um, watching it recently, I was like, oh, I can't remember if the dog survives. Like, mm. So I had to quickly Google. I was like, I know there's a rabbit, <laughs> but I need to make sure that... <laughs> does this keep you up at night? It does. Um, I'm really glad that somebody made that website where you can just quickly check to see if the ducks survive. The ducks survive. Yeah. I, I, I need to write this down. I've just watched. I've just watched Prey. Yeah. And the first thing oh. they did. Oh my gosh! The, we'll talk about the it. The nicest because, yeah. helper. Yeah, I love Prey. Um, but I had to. Um, I had to Google first because I was like, this dog is beautiful. So I need someone's to. made a website. Yeah, yeah and, and it's like it's called. Did like, you not does, know about this? No, yeah, it's called like <laughs> doesthedogdie.com. And if you just put, you just is put that the movie. Really what it's called? Or it's is that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, yeah, it's it's brilliant. I use I use it for any film now where I see a dog into it. Yeah, like, I need to know. Um, I do think it, it makes or breaks this. a film. Yeah doesn't yeah. it i think if you if you know the dog survives then you're like okay but yeah i think yeah. animal killing is is also a theme of these films we're discussing today unfortunately well, getting slightly back on yeah. topic um <laughs> not, ju- not just alex's wardrobe but I've, alex is probably my favorite character out of the films we're going to discuss today but again i think that's because she feels so real she doesn't feel like yeah. she's like even, apart from the end bit where she is a little bit superhuman, but she doesn't feel. Yeah. Super, I do appreciate how well-rounded, in some sense, she is. She feels like when watching. I remember watching that hundred scariest moments, and most people who were interviewed were, about it were men, mm. and they were all like, "Oh yeah," but it it made me think of every, who am I going to take home with me? Who am I going to take home with me? Like, all women are crazy, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> Okay. If you think yeah. if you think all women are crazy after watching one film, like, I think that's I think all you, it takes. Isn't you it, really need people. to reconsider your life and the choices that you made. There. I think I think like you said, she um, you know she maybe because as well the film is quite balanced because it kind of just she just gets scenes on her own where the the, the one where she's just staring into space and sat in the dark just flicking mm. the lamp on oh, and off. Beautiful. And, and, um, with no dialogue, it's a very quiet scene. But you know, you do have um, some understanding um, that this woman's going through something, and uh, oh, absolutely. you know, you, you 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 don't see her as calculated, as manipulative. You see her as a woman in distress. So mm-hmm. I think that definitely helps humanise her. And uh, she also kind of is shown to have like you know a fair few flaws. And uh, when she sends him the um, abusive tape messages. I, I think that there's definitely something to pick up there if we want to talk about the queer angle because it, it seemingly feels like, you know, that there's not much there. But one of the things she does in her kind of uh, abusive messages is, is she, she attempts to emasculate Dan by, mm. she says, I bet you don't even like girls. I bet you're a f- and, uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we wouldn't hear that in films today. But, you know, it, it's a it's a fairly sort of common phrase that they might have used in films to this day and it's mm. used to try and you know um, emasculate dan and, uh, and and humiliate him yeah 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 for sure i mean it's probably the most hurtful thing she could say to someone yeah. who's got that big of an ego and is yeah. so hetero well, yeah <laughs> like the career the career that he was in and the people that mm. surrounds himself with yeah mm. absolutely it was um one of my one of the most chilling scenes for me is the the fairground scene. I was just going to um, say the, the bit so on the roller coaster. Jeez, I'm always <laughs> it, it sounds awful, but I'm always expecting it to like yeet the kid off the roller coaster or something. 
I think I think it's re- it, it, it's scary, but it's also really beautiful. To see, you see, like the joy on her face as she's like just thinking of how things could be. Yeah, and mm-hmm. picture it's the way of her picturing, uh, you know, how life could be, and it's it's such a tragic scene because you are constantly expecting her to be like, oh, she's crazy, she's going to do something. But it's a scene that makes you realise that she's not. She's not. No, yeah, evil, exactly. She's not an evil person. She's just desperate, person. incredibly desperate, yeah. isn't she? An evil yeah. person would have yeeted the child after the roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Okay. Incredible. I think, you know, yeah, again, I would say that this is further evidence to say, you know, why Alex isn't a classic femme fatale, because femme fatales reject the nuclear family construct. Um, and actually, what Alex desperately wants is her own family. Mm-hmm just that Dan wants to, you know, not have that with her. He wants to stick with the family he's got. Um, mm. So she is a threat to his nuclear family. But Alex, you know, very much wants a family. She wants to conform. And and again, as I said, you know, a bit earlier, it is like, I feel like she became a bit of a, a cautionary tale of growing up like, oh, that's the woman you don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's that great line in the film where she, she tells him she's pregnant. She says, I'm 36 years old and this could be my last chance to have a child. Mm-hmm. And I think growing, growing up, you know, you know, as a, you know, a female, you think, oh, my God, women have got a really short shelf life. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't kind of, you know, settle down, get married and have kids, and you don't even question whether that's actually what you want, then, you know, this is what could happen. This is yeah. how you It's the expectation, goes. isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I still think even in Friends today, like, I, I see them kind of having their their plans and, and being like, oh, I need to do this by the time I'm 30 and, and everything. It's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a shame, really, yeah. because I do think there's a bit more freedom to life. Mm. Um, but Absolutely. Hey-ho. That forced idea of heteronormativity is now, yeah. unfortunately, bleeding into the queer world. I got asked the other mm. day when, when I'm going to settle down and get married, and I was like, that's <laughs> you me that question. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> and it, but like, yeah, and somebody was like, oh, I, I can imagine you with kids. And I'm like, but why? I, you don't why are them. you like, like, <laughs> that's for the for the straight people to try and that's, that's yeah. their goal we don't don't try and bleed that into our society that's the one reason one of the biggest reasons why i love picking k is i don't have all that force like i need to do this by a certain time I need to do that so yeah. yeah that's another reason why alex is an icon she might want it but she doesn't get it so i feel like she's team queer team queer <laughs> team queer she i was gonna say she has, per, she has permission to say the slur but she she didn't need it she just took <laughs> she it and just ran away it anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah. incredible i think we've come to a really nice close on on fatal attraction I, out yeah. of the films we are discussing today i think fatal attraction is possibly my favorite um mm-hmm. i think just to just to watch it it's beautiful to watch and i think mm-hmm. that's not just um I think that mainly comes from you've got some powerhouse performers in there. Also, it's really nice to see Jane Krakowski in there, and like a for one second, <laughs> a, a young Jane Krakowski. Um, and it sounds gorgeous as well. The score yeah. to this film is absolutely stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like a common theme. And um, there was something that about these films, and I mean, this is kind of a whole. And obviously, I think with Gone Girl and Fincher later on he has his own style but you know Mm. these films in particular there's something about them that I love because they were still on film they still had like this grain and this rawness to them but then Mm -hmm. also 
the soundtracks again i think are killer on yeah, all of these absolutely. um and i think they play a major part in in it in, in kind of the that, atmosphere that madden butterfly you know score is it, it, it makes it as i said what what could be you know make her a very one-dimensional character she is just a psycho it actually does give her um a more rounded kind of yeah. uh, yeah. characterization and and you know you, you see those moments of tragedy in there about her character uh, and i think it's great that you know if you haven't seen that alternative ending that was meant to intended to be the, the ending originally then you've got the opportunity to rediscover that film again mm-hmm. um, and, it, and it could change your the way you you see uh you know the characters entirely yeah Perfect. Uh, I mean, I, I think, like we said, moving on then naturally, I think the next film, keeping maybe Michael Douglas in the cast, <laughs> I think we should oh, maybe yeah. move on to Basic Instinct, this time in 1992, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Uh, this is this is described as a neo-noir or an erotic yeah. thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen a lot in reviews and obviously write-ups on this, and I think it, this perfectly explains this film. It's described a lot as being quite sleek and quite sexual, and I think... Mm that perfectly yeah. encapsulates uh, uh, what this film uh, is about. So again, how, how did you guys discover this film then? Was this in a similar sort of instance to Fatal Attraction or? Um... Mine, was, mine was a really stupid way into this film. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was, there was, a, there was a parody film of like this sort of genre starring, starring Emilio Estevez. I can't remember the name of the film, but there's a parody scene of the infamous like Sharon Stone sitting there and crossing her legs. And mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell's going on here? So then um, <laughs> my mum was like, oh, it's from a film called Basic Instinct. So I was like, oh, okay. And she was like, you can't watch that. I was like, why? She went, it's a sexy film. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it's a sexy oh, film. I want to watch a sexy film. Um, what, what film did I watch? I watched Catwoman starring Sharon Stone. 2004 um, Halle Berry Catwoman. Yeah. Which and I will I will literally die and defend that film because I, I've got to say I do love it. Okay. I absolutely love it. Michelle Pfeiffer is my Catwoman, but yeah. I do love the Halle Berry Catwoman. Michelle Pfeiffer is my favourite actress. Yeah. I mean, she's got a good outfit in it, but yeah. I think that's about all I can say. Girl, the shade, the shade of it all. Yeah, because I watched because because that. And then I was like, that's who Sharon Stone is. And the, sh- the only so time you- I heard Sharon Stone's name mentioned was in Scream. Yeah. Okay. So and I, never got, I never Stone. forgot why he did that. <laughs> and now I understand it after watching. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I was probably like mid-teens when I first watched this film. Okay, what about you, Zoe? So again, I think it's, you know, like you have those films that you, you just are aware of and mm. you've seen you know you're aware of um iconic scenes from them but actually if you sit and think about it you're probably not sat and watched it all the way through mm-hmm. um, yes. and and i think i actually you know again because i kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s it was a film i was long aware of but but i don't think i properly watched it all the way through till many years later but i was absolutely aware of you know uh, yeah that the interrogation scene with the uh, the leg crossing um and, and was aware of Catherine Tramell's character um and this idea of this woman being like a, a very dangerous character um but yeah I, th- I think I I didn't actually it's one of those films where it tricks you into thinking that you know it you've seen yeah. it but you haven't actually it's just that it's it's so 
much part of our you know pop culture it's just ingrained i completely mm-hmm. agree i mean uh, confession on the podcast uh, i actually watched this for the first time through this week because oh, wow. again it was a film like you said zoe i've yeah. seen it in so many different parts like i've seen the opening scene yeah. i've seen the infamous interview scene i've seen like so many elements of it and the parodies in pop culture are everywhere yeah. particularly with the, the the interview scene so it was kind of a film i felt i knew all about it um but yeah. i hadn't actually seen it and i will say i was really really pleasantly surprised like i think it kind of exceeded expectations because there's a whole tell lot what you it. liked about it and what what maybe uh, you know kind of came as a surprise i think i I absolutely love the style of it i think sharon stone was um incredible um i think i kind of thought i knew where it was going to go with the twist or the ending but i kind of loved how open the ending was Mm -hmm. Um, i mean i will say i've obviously not seen the sequels or anything like that so i don't know if I should or where the story goes kind of when fair the credits well, roll uh, fair, <laughs> fair, fair, fair enough but yeah I just I thought it was just a really really well made film and it was like a really nice mm. time capsule as well of what I thought yeah. the 90s would have been like to be like an adult and a successful adult as well in America um, I thought was yeah it, it was really really entertaining um, and mm. actually again quite violent I think I was surprised yeah. at how violent it got it was an interesting one I definitely won't look at ice picks the same way again after this film <laughs> that's for that's for so, sure uh, sh- should we give a brief overview of what it's about then so the film basically tells the story we kind of get the the opening scene of this this blonde woman straddling this man um who oh. then gets violently offed with uh with an ice pick and there's kind of this yeah. this ritual almost to this this murder he's tied to the bed with a white silk scarf and mm. um it's i suppose again that's that's always like a concern i think for everyone obviously sex and the act of sex is such a vulnerable thing and mm. then mm-hmm. for that to be the moment that something like this takes place is absolutely shocking um but ultimately after we've had this opening kill the investigation is being led by michael douglas's character detective nick Curran, and mm-hmm. he's convinced sharon stone has, has kind of done this but he's He's treading the line with danger. He's flirting with her and he's got a psychiatrist that he's seeing because we find out in his backstory he's maybe shot some people he shouldn't have shot. (laughs) There's a whole thing there going on. Um, So you kind of realise he's maybe not the most reliable protagonist as well. So it's it's very much a film that's kind of has a lot of openings and you kind of think Mm. one thing and there's a lot of red herrings. Um, And ultimately... I, I kind of don't want to give it away for people if you haven't no, seen no, it, no, but definitely not. there is a conclusion um, and maybe a, a twist to the ending, uh, which I, yeah. I did enjoy. But it's essentially following this this investigation and we're introduced to um, Catherine Trammell's kind of a very sexually open person. She, I would say she's bisexual because she yeah, does have she female is. and male lovers. Mm-hmm. Another reason why I was really keen to include this on this podcast was the fact I think it was dubbed as a very anti-homosexual and anti-women film when it came mm-hmm. out. And I, I believe it was protested quite a lot, um, you know, when it was released. Like, a lot of people didn't want other people to see it because the suspects in this film of the murders are all bisexual so they all have kind of dabbled yeah. in the in the world of of non-heterosex <laughs> so it's <laughs> i i kind of get why it's problematic i don't know i just can't deny the fact i think sharon stone's just an absolute icon if you ever want to read something incredible 
um, mm. by Sharon Stone. She taught, she's there's a really good article that she did with Vanity Fair. Mm. Um, she wrote an article about how this film kind of like made and broke her at the same time in Hollywood. Yeah. There's a line from it that I really love where she talks about how she was uh, predatory directors were describing as diff- the most difficult woman in Hollywood. But this film, she took it so seriously. She fell in love with the role and she hates that. It, she says it's more than just a pick up mascot people, yeah. uh, which has become known for. But I, um, it's great. It's um, it, 2021, March 18, 2021, when it's written. And it's just, it's really nice because it, Sharon recounts her um, career before and after. And because yeah. this is, when you say Sharon Stone, this is the, the film. This is the film, isn't it? Yeah. But I really like how she describes how much. So, yes, it did. It made her a household name, this film. Mm. And it did kind of like kickstart a career she was trying to get up and running. But the, yeah, the sad part of it being that everyone then was just saying, oh, she's just. She's I think just a pair of nice legs. That's, that's the, the way sad more than side me. of this is the fact that. I think that's where the negatives come in in particular because it did obviously make her uh, and when you do think of Sharon Stone this is the film but at the same time you can see that it did maybe completely ruin things for her as well I mean I know I don't know if it was that article I read or whether or not it was an interview um, but I know that she struggled with more serious castings a lot after this and then due to that and then health issues her career didn't really go in the trajectory I think it it should have because I think she's incredibly talented but I I don't know at the same time it's an incredibly powerful scene like she is literally in a room full of men and completely dominates that room she's completely in control of that interview she smokes when she wants to I think it's I think it would have been better if it was done without that that maybe having to happen but would it have been as iconic? I I don't know. What what when you say without that happening? What the? I think you know if you do, it would have been interesting to see. Thing. Yeah, if that scene had okay. happened, and maybe I don't know, it was a peek at pants instead of full nude mm-hmm. or something. And I know obviously there's kind of the rumours and things, and I don't know if she's kind of said. I know. She, I think she said on record she wasn't aware that it was being recorded, and she feels it was like a bit of a betrayal. I think the DOP yeah. said you can't wear like white underwear because it'll mess up the camera. So she thought it was completely yeah. innocuous. When actual fact, it's very much a big part of the scene. But then at the same time, I mean, I don't think she is also nude in a lot of the rest of the film. So I kind of don't think like it's the only example in that movie. So it was like just a a quick decision i just I, I just hate the idea of someone having to go through something like that and it not be their choice that that bothers me um, but it would have been interesting to see if that scene would have been as powerful without that included mm. um, so i think what what i would like to kind of um talk about and then kind of we'll we'll circle back round to that scene is that i think we do need to look at the context of the time period because this was a time 1992 where there was relaxing censorship uh, mm. so you've got that gap between the 1980s and video nasties and then you know the basic incident fits between this this that period of all the video nasties of the 80s and then actually leading into hardcore porn and mm. it's it's that it's a step away from that but it's it's kind of you know it's a film and it's a mainstream film but you know yeah it, it, it was it's incredibly uh you know erotic and uh, explicit at the time 
Mm. Paul Verhoeven, I think, is, you know, it is, we have to think about the director, especially when we're talking about gender issues, um, because, you know, they are ultimately, you know, the captain of the ship. And yeah. Paul Verhoeven's a very divisive filmmaker, um, and, and I still feel very conflicted about that film and his other work. Um, on one hand, you, you know, because if we take two of these other films, Showgirls, um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> um, he also did one in France a few years ago called L, which is described as a light-hearted uh, rape revenge fantasy film. And you light-hearted. Think, so, yeah. So, Paul Verhoeven. Uh, I mean, I, I'm sure you've probably seen what is, is it? Starship Troopers. Uh, yeah. That the, Starship like, Troopers. Um, yeah. We call as well. But he. <laughs> he does have I know but the, the creatures in it are like they, they do freak me out they're pretty scary they're but incredible but Paul Verhoeven has like you know the, the, in his body of work there is a lot of you know scenes um, and sequences that involve violence towards women mm, and sure. uh, some of those sequences have become you know uh, problematic um, which we'll come back to with basic instinct but this is what makes him, you know, someone uh, that, you know, is, is going to divide people. Uh, some people think that what he does is clever satire and it's a feminist commentary on the world. Uh, but Variety magazine described his work as demented, sex-positive caveman feminism, which I just thought was a fantastic... <laughs> caveman <place>. feminism. <laughs> caveman I'm gonna feminism, that, yeah. I'm going to get that tattooed, I think. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> because, you know, he really does play with that line of mm. consent and cat and mouse power mm. games and who really is in control you know so yeah the basic instinct you know really is an intriguing film because you can't really come down one on one side or the other you can see the yeah. merits of the arguments going back to the interrogation scene i i I quite, I do like that scene because of, you know, um, the fact that she is in the spotlight. Yeah. She she doesn't follow the rules. They say she can't smoke. She says, are you going to, you know, arrest me for smoking? And it is, it really does emphasize, as you said, that there are counted, there's like, there's five men interrogating her and she refuses any representation because she said basically saying I, I i don't need help i yeah. I, I know i'm in control yeah. um, and also what it does is it turns on its head something what happens earlier in the film which is uh i'm, I'm hoping i think it is earlier in the film scopophilia which is the co psychoanalytical concept in film which is scopophilia is like the pleasure in looking, um, you know, at something, someone, sorry, sexually, either, um, you know, in a state of undress or in the process of having sex. So, mm -hmm. in a way, the audience is taking part in scopophilia when we're watching yeah. her um, mm -hmm. doing things. But also, there's a scene in the film where uh, Nick's character is basically following her and stalking her in a way, really. Mm -hmm. um, and he's he stood in her the grounds of her house and the lights are on, she's undressing, and she's unaware she's being watched. Mm. And I think that then you go back to the interrogation scene, and she's turned it on her head, because there is still this element of scopophilia where she's being watched sexually, but she's in control of it, oh, um, yeah. and really emphasizes that it's her in a male-dominated world. And I do, I do quite like that scene, but as you said, the context of then finding out that she wasn't aware that they were filming that 
it, it does change the way you see mm. that sense of sure. power and control, doesn't well, it? Well, I um, mm. in the article I was discussing, she also talks about how um, when she was uh, testing for the film, uh, Mike Douglas refused to test with her because she was a no one and wouldn't do that. And I really feel like, although it, it's a blatant commentary on like snobbery and Hollywood <laughs> elitism. But also I feel like it plays really well in the film. I like the chemistry between them because it's, there is, there's something lacking there. And I feel yes. like them yeah. not testing together may, it, although it, it was very, a very rude thing to do. And, you know, I'll never work with him. So f- Michael Douglas for that. Um, <laughs> but like, but like, um, you heard it here first. Folks. Not from my door. <laughs> yeah. But it's, yeah, it's, I feel like it then added something to the film because there's this, even though there's this like pure sexual chemistry between them both, there's such a disconnect somewhere. And I yeah. feel like that- It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. But yeah. um, talking about the interrogation scene, yeah, I really like it because that's that scene, you can just really feel her tugging at strings. You can really like just imagine her standing above the whole thing that's like a little set yeah. and just- Marinette and the more out of the characters in this as well I really feel like she is probably the most chilling and the most sinister because she's yeah. also probably the most she knows exactly who she is what she wants and mm. she also she's a very good she knows other people she's brilliant at being able to read every other character in play, this play them off yeah. each other manipulate oh, I mean just... I like the the comparison to her be, literally being a puppet master because the thing is is obviously as the film goes on we do find out that she knows a whole lot more about Michael Douglas's character she's probably yeah. Yeah. researched him and known about him for months she's premeditated this murder literally in a book and mm-hmm. I think also what's funny is the fact that we then get the mirror of this scene later when Michael Douglas is being interrogated yeah. and he mm-hmm. says the same thing about smoking um, yeah. so it's kind of almost like she set the stage and we get these repeated moments as well of her having sex and as not knowing whether or not she's going to strike and I mean I think it's done yeah. like two or three times in the film yeah. and you mm-hmm. still don't really know right up until the end whether or not mm-hmm. she she is she's going to do something so I I love the the not knowing of it but I love how calculated she is and I agree Liam I think she's by far the most uh, predetermined I think out of maybe all of these I'd maybe even say more yeah. than Amy and Gone Girl actually well yeah. I think that you know when we get on to talking about Gone Girl uh, you know a, a, lo- a lot of this is why I think you know Amy's character gets some kind of sympathy and, and also like mm-hmm. a, a admiration because some of her actions are seen as a response to patriarchy yeah. um, and the more the more subtle uh, ways that um, you know misogyny plays out in a modern world um, but w- Catherine Trammell um, in the film played by Sharon Stone is, is undoubtedly a psychopath and um, mm-hmm. so she her psychopathic tendencies are that you know she, she is she's shown to be very cold and emotionless when she's been informed at, at the beginning when we first meet her that her lover's being murdered it almost looks like she's subtly smirking um, yeah. she's, she's she's deeply manipulative and she plays people off against each other like her girlfriend Roxy um, yeah. against Nick which I'm sure we'll come on to in a minute because that's a, another angle but she she's um, and definitely she shows that she has uh, there's a concept in an essay called this uh, again linked with the femme fatale spider woman it's in Janie Place's article I think uh, called women in film noir and the spider woman's infamous for carefully and uh, dubiously weaving 
their webs around unsuspecting men in order to get them to do their bidding. And when he repeats that line of what you're going to do, charge me with smoking, it's clear that she has sort of infected yeah, yeah, him yeah. and he's under her sort of, you know, control now. So mm. I think it's, it's it's quite good for that. And it definitely goes back to, you know, uh, what Paul Verhoeven does is play with that cat and mouse sense of, you know, mm. who's in control and, and leaving it kind of uh, very much uh, in the hands of the audience to decide. Again, I, I'll keep linking back to this article because I want as many people to read it as possible. Um, she talks about when she, Sharon Stone, when she was first went to watch the film and she saw herself, She one, didn't realise that she could be, that she wasn't. She, this is the first time she said that she saw herself looking that beautiful, which, yeah. like, I know. And um, But she said she was really happy with her performance because she said, in her performance, she was channeling all the rage that she felt against all these men in Hollywood who were trying mm-hmm. to tell her what to do. And said, and she was says that she like in every scene she was picturing each man she was in a scene with as someone who had told her, "You're mm-hmm. never going to make it. Women can't be sexual beings," and all this. Like, and I just, I really love the idea of. I, I'd love to be in her head just for that one moment where she could really feel that liberated watching herself on screen. Yeah. Because yeah. I feel like we talk about these films and as much as we talk about the, the big issue with these films is if a woman takes this role as a femme fatale, often in Hollywood, she's either then typecast or she's laughed at in a kind of a way. <laughs> like, I, I think Glenn Close may be the exception because, you know, Glenn Close, um, yeah, yeah, because um, <laughs> she's but, frigging Glenn Close. <laughs> but yeah, but that's the, like the treatment then mm. of Sharon Stone post this film, as people only saw her as this. She was just a pinup. She was just something for people to stare yeah. at. She was sexy. Nobody bothered to, like, well, not say nobody, but the majority of people didn't bother to think. Oh my god! Like, look past the sex in this film. Yeah look yeah. past the the visual and the aesthetic and look at the performance she gives and the subtleties you mentioned the the smirks that she gives within this film that's oh they're so calculated they're bloody brilliant yeah. she gives a performance of a lifetime in this film and unfortunately mm. the way that hollywood works is they just chew up women for this one thing and then i couldn't give a f- about them afterwards it's like oh yeah yeah, it's, um, it's a shame. you know, it's like you said about it. She, she's channeling all the rage, you know, into that one role. I, you know, I, I think she's fantastic in this role, and you know, the character she plays. Uh, you know, she's again, she's rejecting traditional roles, mm-hmm. and she's wealthy, she's successful, and independent. Um, and you know, uh, like men kind of are shown to try and do, he wants to try and domesticate her when they start yeah. this sort of pseudo relationship. And he's he kind of twice, I, I picked it up when I rewatched it, um, talks about them settling down and having rugrats. Kids, yeah, you know? yeah. And the second yeah. time, without even wondering whether she wants them, ask, doesn't ask, it's an assumption. And I really feel like he's trying to domesticate her. And I, mm. the second time he says it, she says, I hate rugrats. And I, I quite enjoyed that part but the other thing I like about it and and again it goes back to psychoanalytical theories that it's packed with phallic imagery you know so it femme fatales are always smoking um and it is seen as you know uh the way that because femme fatales are meant to be very visual they use their 
that you know their clothes their hair and um, their makeup to draw in men and the smoking was always seen as drawing attention to their mouths looking seductive yeah. uh, and also yeah it's meant to be a phallic symbol but and the ice pick as well you know very clearly um mm. is in there and and this idea of you know her subtly taking down patriarchy I, I quite enjoy i think it is kind of something to get onto about though um some of the negatives of Catherine's character and that she she, um, she is kind of shown as a bit of a stereotype of uh, a bisexual that she's shown as being promiscuous yeah. always kind of hungry and uh, you know for, for sex uh, quite murderous and uh, the the woman that she is in a relationship with Roxy is, is shown as being uh, she's killed her brothers she's mm. a, a man hater um, yeah. And she definitely falls into that trope of psycho lesbian who is killed off. Um, and uh, there's a great scene in the club where essentially, you know, Nick kind of manages to take uh, Catherine um, off kind of Roxy. So it does kind of suggest that, you know, she can't compete with a man. Yeah. But yeah, like it's- that. I do think it is somewhat problematic. I think the fact that literally all of the people who we seriously think are capable of murder in this film are the queer people. Um, (laughs) So I I think, again, it was... This is something I'll touch upon with single white female as well. I think the context of the time, like, I think we were starting to maybe see more of the representation coming through of queer people. It wasn't necessarily doing much for our community, but it was definitely kind of starting to be introduced. And I mean, at the time, this must have been incredibly risque, like the even the idea of it a pattern though that i am seeing is the the thing is is, and i mean this is i think is with all of the films all of these women in order to be this sexually progressive or active have to be successful women so they can stand on their own it's kind of like there's there's almost like this reinforcement that they've all got to be career driven Mm. and then sex is almost an afterthought as opposed to it is it's it's a weird dichotomy i suppose no Um, i think I think it goes back to again, you know, the idea that the origins of the femme fatale was, uh, you know, that that, it, that they existed in a time period where they were transgressing, mm. you know, traditional roles in the nuclear family, and that what they wanted more than anything was independence, independence of men. They wanted their own autonomy, uh, and Catherine, you know, it, it takes that, you know, to, to the extreme. I mean, I would like a council estate version of this, maybe where Brenda's down the high street and she offs Paul with a leg of lamb or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, I do feel like In that Iceland, would be good. Yeah. Yeah. That's why mum's going to Iceland. Do you know what I mean? I feel My like there's potential. Um, potential. Yeah, there. I, think, um, I think the one thing that makes me, um, you know, uncomfortable about the film, which again goes back to... Paul Verhoeven being a bit of a problematic filmmaker is kind of uh, Nick's in this on-off relationship with his psychologist, the therapist that works for the police, Dr. Beth Gaynor, I think her name is. And we then even find out that even she's had a tussle with Catherine Chamel back in college. I mean, Um, who hasn't at this point? (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. And um, there is this this really, um, you know, difficult scene to watch where he goes, you know... uh, 
I think he, he goes to her apartment. You know, they, they begin kind of this, uh, you know, sexual encounter, which then, you know, becomes quite mm. sort of rough and aggressive. And then quickly, you know, sort of escalates to Nick essentially bending her over this sofa and, and forcing her into sex when she, and she, she's saying, she says no. But then afterwards, they're then shown in this sort of, you know, post-coital sort of embrace with her going oh you've never been like that before and that's yeah. so problematic because mm. it kind of suggests that she didn't want it but actually really yeah. she did also suggests that that he's getting like this and his behavior is escalating because of the impact of meeting yeah. Catherine Trammell that in some way Catherine Trammell is affecting the way he's behaving towards Beth yeah. so ultimately sure. it makes him less sort of you know sort of yeah. responsible yeah mm -hmm. for his behavior but date rape kind of in the idea of date rape you know if you'd already consented to having sex with someone previously or you were dating then that just didn't exist back in the early 90s you know no one would mm -hmm. say oh my goodness i've just witnessed um, a rape scene on on film you, you would yeah. just think oh that was a bit iffy or yeah. possibly not even that so i find that mm -hmm. scene you know looking back on now recontextualizes is, is a little bit problematic well very problematic yeah yeah there is a, there is an essay i read that labeled tramel as the living embodiment of a male castrated society and mm -hmm. i think it is funny well not funny that's probably not the right word to, it is uh very on the nose i think that yeah once he's had this encounter with with her he then does have to assert his masculinity by literally yeah. forcing himself onto a woman and i think yeah watching it now is very different than the attitudes probably would have been at the time when it came out. I mean, none of these films go without their problems. I think they're they're all problematic and interesting in their in their own ways. Um, yeah. But I think that's why it's it's good to discuss it's, them. Yeah, and it's also um, we're watching these films that are written and directed by men. So mm. no matter what happens, we're seeing these characters through the male gaze. No matter what. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's always worth remembering that. Like, I wouldn't love to see a remake of Basic Instinct through, like, a female gaze. I, I thought I thought we were going to get an introduction of someone there. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and I think there's only one Catherine Trammell out there right now. Um, getting pissed off that a man has not texted back through Microsoft Excel. That's something Catherine would do. And the only one and only Kelly Rowlands would be able to put the bill. Friday! Um, Kelly Rowe. Incredible, yeah. I think ultimately where kind of Catherine Trammell's character sort of surpasses the original thought character of a, of a femme fatale is that she gets away with it. Yeah. And that is not something that happened in the in the past. As I said, it was very firmly an allegorical sort of, you know, tale about if you transgress, there will be punishment. Yeah. And I think that ultimately is the catharsis is that, you know, she's done all this stuff and she's going to get away with it. And, uh, and that, that, I think, is what does make the film um, more interesting and more complex yeah. um, in as far as looking at her as a femme fatale. It is very, very interesting. And I mean, I'll probably um, put in a pin, I'd say probably in this one then, and then moving on, I will leave on the note of saying, if you guys, I, I don't know if either of you have actually watched this. Have you watched the documentary Don't F*** With Cats? Yes. Yes, it's great. 
I mean, the influence then that you see that this film had in real life um, mm-hmm. is absolutely shocking. And I mean, I don't, I won't go into details because guys at home, if you haven't watched this documentary yet, it is incredible. Um, but Basic Instinct does indeed play a big part in that uh, in that real life horror story. Yeah. Um, so I suppose moving on then. So we're still in 1992, but this time we're moving on to single white female. Uh, yeah. Now this is. This is a film that I was really, really excited to bring this film to the to the table because if I'm being mm. honest, I mean, I watched Basic Instinct obviously properly for the first time this week and I'll probably say that's my favourite out of the out of, out of the four we're discussing, but I do love Single White Female. This is mm-hmm. described as a thriller or a psychological thriller. It's directed by Barbette Schroeder, I believe I'm pronouncing that right, and it stars Bridget Fonda as Ali Jones and Jennifer Jason Lee as Hedy Carlson. I will mm-hmm. also give a shout out to Peter Friedman as Graham Knox, who is the upstairs gay BFF that we all <laughs> yeah. in our lives. Do you, have you seen the sequel to this one? There's a sequel. It's, I don't think I have it's seen called, sequel, it's called Single White Female 2, the cycle. Isn't it, it has is, it got is, different characters, <laughs> Yes, it's okay. shocking. It's shocking. It's, As in shockingly bad? Not even so bad it's good. It's just like... Oh. Why did we need another one? I just... Is it, it, came, on the... it came out like a decade later, I swear, as well. <laughs> okay. Is it even worth hate-watching? Um, I'd say it's worth watching with maybe a bottle of wine or two, so you can at least <laughs> laugh at it. <laughs> okay. And then maybe a few shots. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you, you, I, I mean, where does, does she post the listing somewhere different? Is that on like Facebook Marketplace now or like what's, what's going on? <laughs> This is this was another film I think that is maybe more on the problematic side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I very much think that there's joy to be had by watching it, but this yeah. one I think definitely leads more into the lesbian phobic side of of reading yeah. when you look at this film and maybe characters coming to terms with their sexuality and who they are really uh, as people. Yeah. I'll I'll just jump in and give a, a an overview again of this one. So Ali is a successful fashion designer businesswoman entrepreneur i mean she's got a whole lot going on she's developing i think she's a computer programmer she's she a computer programmer yeah, absolutely i was going to say yeah. she's got some weird microsoft paint clothes yeah. program thing going on i mean it was the early 90s so we'll forgive <laughs> them she's seemingly got the perfect life uh, she's got a, a boyfriend uh, called sam who seems wonderful and at the start of the film they seem very happy together she's got a rent controlled apartment she's got killer style um, but he seems to be doing the dirty on her and she finds this out in incredible fashion through the answering machine <laughs> this is for rachel you big fat white nasty smelling fat I mean, I just, I love how camp that is. In order to maintain this lifestyle, she realises that she doesn't necessarily really want to be on her own in this apartment. Um, So she puts Mm -hmm. an ad out in the classifieds and in this incredible montage gets some quite kooky characters come through (laughs) to potentially share this flat with her. She takes up uh, a lodger called uh, Hedy Carlson, who's played brilliantly by Jennifer Jason Leigh. And at first, there's quite a really nice, innocent and... um, platonic relationship forming between these two characters and she very much does build her life around her 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 flatmate post breakup but shit hits the fan and then we start seeing that maybe Hedy isn't necessarily what she says she is and um, yeah we go back into thriller territory and we've got a femme fatale on our hands so <laughs> it's a lot of fun 
I, I'd probably say I think it's very stylish to say it came out at the same time as Basic Instinct. I don't think it's it was as successful, and I think it's a hard act to follow or be in the shadow of really. But I do love this film uh, a lot. I think it's yeah. it's very very it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Of all of all the films we talk about today, it's the one I watched. Like when I watched the earliest, I discovered this film because it was on TV. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I remember. I used to stay up quite late uh, without like, my mum or anyone knowing and just watch random films on TV. And I think it was on like Channel 4 late at night. Yeah. Um, and I was I remember being in school and I was freaked out because I had a teacher who had like a, a short choppy bob as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would, that I is didn't... incredible. But, but was that on the good side? Did she remind you of Bridget Fonda or was it, you know, the... No, no, no. No, she, no, she was full headache. Like, I was like, she's going to try and kill me. I didn't trust her from that day on. Yeah. What would have um, been funny or sus is if another teacher then got the same <laughs> shot. Or I, or, I came to, or I came to school and I'm like, we've got the same haircut now. <laughs> I bought you a puppy and I've got the same haircut, yeah. And this is a film that if you check on uh, on that website, you might be disappointed because, spoiler alert, the dog doesn't survive in this movie. Um, Aww, it's, 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 it's very, very, very sad. Um, but what about you, Zoe? How did you get into this film? Again, I would say probably very much like Grived with, uh, you know, Basic Instinct. I think it's one that, because it was made around that same time period, uh, you know, like so it was on TV a lot, Mm-hmm. Um, and was aware of and 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 became you know it's it's another phrase as we said that we use you know in pop culture and say oh you know I'm, I'm not going to go all single white female on you and uh, you know it becomes yeah. shorthand for um, a, a psycho woman um, yeah. basically <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> um, this is like a film which again for me personally I'm not sure I think she does have some of the characteristics of a femme fatale but because again, I feel like uh, you know she she's a different kind of version of a femme fatale for me, and mm. because mm. she's more a cautionary tale towards kind of women about this lesbian threat, I don't mm. feel that she conforms to the traditional femme fatales are a threat to the nuclear family and, and men directly. But indirectly, she sort of is because she is a threat to the men in the film. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, she, but she, what she lacks for me more than anything, I think, is she is she's far more impulsive. Yeah. Um, she's probably more on the lines of a sociopath. She's not. She's not really as in control and manipulative as Catherine Tramell or Amy Elliott in, in Gone Girl. She's much mm. more impulsive, and uh, you know, so for this, so I think she deviates a little bit there. But I, 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 you know, think it's a bit, a little bit like Fatal Attraction. I think mm. that there's a lot of underlying menace in the film, um, and then you get some, you know, pretty shocking moments. Like uh, I don't think uh, I ever saw stiletto heels in the same way ever again <laughs> after this film. I mean, it's a standout <laughs> for me. The fact that I don't think Come we've on, yet we've discussed now. <laughs> we've, we've not yet spoke on this podcast about a film where someone gets impaled in the eye with a eight inch stiletto i mean it's incredible it's uh Mm -hmm. i mean the shoes are incredible as well they weren't an old maiden type of shoe they were (laughs) were definitely uh, um they were great shoes yeah i i probably agree with you zoe i do think this is more akin to like uh, alex forrest in in fatal attraction i think now that i've looked at the definition of femme fatale 
I do think she maybe sits outside of the confines of that. And I think there's a lot more going on uh, mentally mm-hmm. and it being more of a psychological thing as opposed to yeah. it being manipulative. I mean, she... I think it's easy to read this film and not see it with the lesbian undertone because I think when I first watched this when I was younger and again I don't know if this is just me being younger and naive I think this was the one I saw first out of all of these films as well um I actually got onto this through my mum because my mum was like oh my god this film's great from the 80s you need you you need to watch it even though it's the 90s it's the turn of the night so yeah we'll we'll forgive her (laughs) we'll forgive her I I think you can read it as it just being because the film opens with this image of these twins, a, a mirror, and we do find out as the film goes on that um, Hedy did have a twin sister who died. It's alluded to, obviously, that she had very much something to do with that, but you could read it that she wants Bridget Fonda's character, Ali, to fill that void and maybe become her twin sister, which is why mm-hmm. she's kind of making herself look like her so much and acting like yeah. her. But at the on the flip side, you could very much see it as kind of some lesbian obsession and something else going on so i think it's it's open it's open to uh, interpretation i also don't think that uh Hedy's desire for ali is a hundred percent delusional no Although it's never explicitly said that either of them are lesbian and obviously ali is very much a heterosexual we were established that she's in a relationship with a man and then goes back to that relationship um she very much relies on her like very strongly yeah yeah. when she first moves in for emotional like yeah. uh, comfort physical comfort i mean they literally fall asleep on each more other more than that mm. like i think i think so um this was written by don Roos, who is a gay screenwriter i i kind of i was reading quite a lot online that a lot of people that like this film um had the same sort of uh sort of point to make which is that they would just love to speak to him and find out what he actually didn't intend because yeah. this is this film could definitely be perceived as being uh, very much a queer baiting film because it kind of does lots of things in the film where it is kind of suggesting that there is you know a gay attachment between them but then right at the last minute it sort of sidesteps it and then makes it about you know she even says oh Hedy's got um, survivor's guilt mm-hmm. and uh, it then kind of infers that what she really wanted was a replacement yeah. for a twin but it's, it's, it's crap really because um, when <laughs> when she first moves in essentially it sets up at this sort of blossoming relationship and it, and it kind yeah. of there are scenes in the film where it's like they're they're, they're, it's a meet cute where yes, you know she fixes absolutely. the sink. Yeah, um, they're bonding. They're they're going on like it, like dates together. So yeah. it is establishing that there is this kind of connection between them that is more than platonic. Mm. And at, at one point, you know, when she's trying to um, pacify um, Hedy and her she even kisses her on the lips. Yeah, you know. So the the other thing about it is that. You know, again, Hedy is kind of seen as uh, she's very jealous of when Ali reconciles with Sam. She's mm-hmm. she's shown to to be kind of uh, a, a bit of a man hater. She mm-hmm. she sees Sam as a threat, and she tries to draw kind of Ali away from Sam. And when she gets the dog called Buddy, you know that the dog is meant to be a stand-in for for a child. So mm-hmm. you know, Hedy is trying to create a family with Ali but she ends up coming off as you know the the psycho uh, lesbian that ultimately will go punished but but then at the same time it goes back to this you know it, it, it's survivor's guilt she lost the mm. twin and it's 
I mean, I kind of get it because it's a socially conservative time still, and this yeah. would have been made to play to a largely sort of heterosexual cisgender audience. So, yeah. so you know, he knew probably he couldn't get away fully with writing mm. a gay story. Yeah. But it's like it kind of swings from one side to the other. This is what I love about these films that we're talking about today is because the audience that they were made for is not the audience who largely consumes these films now. All these films are now like, they're very successful. So to call them a cult film, but the way that it's got a cult following amongst queer people is very different to those who like really enjoy it, who are like the, the cishet society. I remember when I, I spoke about this film in uni, and there was a piece, because I, I did theatre, and there's a piece that I wanted to direct. It informed me of the queer people in the room, because they were like, I, I love this film, I love this film, I love this. Yeah. And then I was like, we've got one thing linking us all, and that's what it is. <laughs> and um, I think what, what, what gets me about this is, again, when we look at the film, I recently discovered that it was based on a book, so I need to read that now. All these films are like warning you of the dangers of stepping away from conformity and, and yeah. trying to step away from those families. Uh, my yeah. favorite, one of my favorite scenes in this is uh, when Hedy makes that um, phone call and blackmails that that arsehole who yeah. tries to sexually assault. Thingy. His name? Is, it, is it Maxwell or something? Mitch Meyerson. Mm. Mitch yeah. Meyerson is played by Stephen Toblowski. Yeah, Toblerin. Yeah, um, Tobler. Yeah, yeah. Stephen Toblerin. <laughs> I really, um, yeah. When she's uh, when she makes that phone call and, and engages in that blackmail, it's uh, oh, it just it gives me chills. Um, it's the switch up, isn't it? And I mean, it's, yeah. it's yeah. kind of like those those are the moments that stick out in this because on paper, a lot of the decisions that uh, Eddie makes are kind of nice like she is genuinely yeah. like doing yeah. nice things and it, it's not it's not unreasonable for her to move in a place and say look just don't move me out again in a few weeks when you, yeah, you decide exactly. you want this man back and i don't know she can tell that obviously ali is hurting so she's trying to be there for her and then she's just thrown to the curb i mean i don't suggest murdering people but i can see <laughs> no. why she's pissed off like i do yeah. i do i do get it i mean one thing obviously we touched upon is the fact that this film it could be queer coded i suppose like you could yeah. read it as either or one thing i absolutely mm -hmm. do love about it though is obviously horror movies uh, as a well-known trope would kill off their minority characters very early on mm -hmm. um and i think this was kind of an expectation that we had when ali then does go to graham upstairs and go do you know what i think hedy is a little bit insane we kind of yeah. think oh god right well he's gonna die yeah. because otherwise yeah. let people he just know. found out yeah and we do assume he does die um, earlier yeah. in the film. And then I absolutely loved one that the cat also survived because I thought the cat was dead for a minute. And <laughs> dogs I can kind of deal with. I'm a cat person, but you kill a cat, that's Ooh. it. Um, I'm, I'm out. Um, yeah, when, when it's kind of then revealed in the third act, he's still alive and he comes to from the bathtub, which I thought was a kind of funny echo of Fatal Attraction. <laughs> he absolutely saves the day. Like, he's very, yeah. very vital in giving Ali the upper hand to, to defeat Hedy. Yeah. So um, for that to have been a queer character, he's not the most developed he is a bit one-dimensional no, yeah oh, he is no. he, he is uh you know just it is literally his role to be the gay best friend and and he doesn't appear to have uh, he's you know any relationships not nothing shown on screen other than him being there to serve as her friend but mm -hmm. you you are right he 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 does we assume he's a goner and, and he he actually survives so mm. you know i thought that was a clever twist 
Like I, I thought yeah. that was a nice, nice way of doing it. And um, I actually didn't know that it was written by a, a queer guy. So um, that was that's. I suppose that kind of maybe feeds into that. Um, that's that's a nice nice way that that's come through maybe perhaps but again it's context isn't it I think we were only really starting Mm -hmm. to see these characters be introduced on screen and them not I mean it was literally they'd be flamboyant or the psycho killer so he was kind of neither of those things we find out his mum was incredibly butch apparently but that's about it (laughs) you know what when we talk about that I think it's quite funny that um, you know when you you mentioned earlier that it does this like montage where it goes through like a a lineup of all these possible candidates that are going to move in and, and they're all like shockingly awful um, mm. if you go on IMDB uh, one of them is literally uh, known as uh, Manish Applicant and uh, you know is she the one who's uh, like we just need to tear down the walls man yeah and she, she I would have moved her because she's clearly got some DIY skills you yes know? exactly yeah but I quite like how yeah she she's just kind of yeah uh, that, that's all she gets is Manish, Manish Applicant yeah <laughs> Yeah. That's going to be my new Twitter bio, I think. Just manage applicant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I I love that. I mean, th- I think the funny thing is, is when you close the film and you realise that all of these applicants would have been a better fit than than Hedy. Is mm. <laughs> that's kind of the comedy in it, isn't it? I suppose. I like the horror angle with this. I was reading some stuff where the director was a massive fan of Rosemary's Baby. Mm. Um, I think you can tell. Fan. And um, <laughs> the um, the apartments in it are supposed to be a homage to. Rosemary's Babies and there's little moments in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd really, yeah, I'd loved them to have gone in a little bit more of a, I don't know, lean into that a little bit more yeah. and try and make us feel like something more f***ed up was going on, but it actually wasn't. I don't know. Mm. I do I do love this film, but I feel like, mm. yeah, I'd want to I'd want to step it up a little bit. I think out of all of them, this is probably the least violent one, maybe. Like, mm. I mean, I know... There is violence and there is the stiletto, but it's not very bloody, is it? It's not. No, I think it's more. It is. It's the shock value, isn't it? No, I know what you. I know what you're saying. I think. um, I think when it does happen, though, it is. It is very much kind of. uh, It's. It's a shocking moment because, and again, while we touch on, you know, uh, sexual violence, it's. um, You know, uh, Sam kind of. You know, is is dark. Um, he's half asleep. Uh, what he, we think is, uh, you know, Ali has come in the room and starts forming oral sex on him, only for him to then find and there's that shocking moment where she looks up and, and it's it's not Ali, it's mm. it's Hedy, and uh, and then yeah, and he he's kind of starts throwing some threats away, and then she she mm. takes him out to let her heal. Um, mm. That you know, uh, you know, the, the, this. Uh, you know, a, a, an act of male rape there, you know, against the man that, that, you know, we, again, it wouldn't have been perceived that way at the time. And so it does make Hedy far more sort of, uh, you know, threatening to, to men in, in that scene. In any, in any other part of the film, she's, she's not, she's just kind of um, shown to be kind of, you know, uh, a bit of a man hater. She doesn't like mm-hmm. men. She certainly has a grudge against Sam. But that that whole sequence with him when she kills him and you know performs that act against him, you know, that's what really does make her a threat to men in the film. I think what's interesting, obviously, this film features sexual assault on both Ali uh, with her boss at work, and yeah. then also, uh, obviously, yeah, with Sam and um, Hedy coming into the the hotel room. 
I do think it I, I don't know if obviously this is how it was shot or how it was filmed but I definitely feel you're made to feel a lot more uncomfortable when it's happening to Ali and I don't know if that's obviously yeah. just something that we're used to seeing because this film does stand out in the fact that it does also f- feature assault on a male and again I think at the time the attitudes towards that would be that oh it's not that bad I yeah I don't think it was written as I no. don't th- the way that it was written and the way it was directed I feel like they wouldn't have seen that as assault no, no. It, was, it was kind of just like, oh, um, it, and I it think was an that's, accident. I think that's happened. why yeah. we as an audience don't really... It's framed in that way, that way, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I do also yeah. find it interesting, though, that the men in the film who do uh, either obviously commit assault or are a mm. part of it or have obviously, we found out, had affairs, they are like the people who die and are punished, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously, yeah, there is the, the ending with Hedy, but it is... I suppose the the other films don't necessarily punish the men all that much. They are kind of seen as almost the the people who can get away with stuff. Whereas I yeah. think this film definitely goes there, um, which is which is interesting. It's uh, I don't, what I really like is the way that these characters, the things that they choose. So I'm thinking this and Fatal Attraction, all the violence and the things that they use against these men in Atter Violence mm. are all domesticated things that you can just find around the house. If that makes sense, like. Like the idea of women being chained to the kitchen. So let's, you know, women being about high heels and sexiness and using those domestic yeah. female things yeah. around the house to be able to at these. Whereas a, an ice pick, you don't just have lying around, you know. No, unless um, you're really rich. Yeah. So with this and fatal <laughs> attraction, that's what I really like that there's these everyday mundane domestic things lying about your house. And that those things being the, the acts used to to get the violence in there. That's what I really like about it. I always find it scary when it's everyday household stuff that you can bump someone <laughs> up with. Yeah. Just a, a spray bottle of sell it bang. <laughs> Remember me? Barry Scott! <laughs> um, no, I don't think that would make a, a very iconic scene, would it? But I mean, uh, yeah, the stiletto heel again, you know, uh, it does have a, a similarity there with the ice pick. Again, mm. it's that phallic symbolism um, but yet at the same time it's also you know icon- iconically feminine isn't it mm-hmm. and uh, and she is using kind of you know what would be part of female sexuality um, you know to, to take him out so yeah I, I think for me um, she doesn't fit the or you know there are some characteristics there but she doesn't classically fit the role yeah. of her femme fatale but at the same time you know I think it's an interesting film uh, and I think I am definitely on the side of you know other people that you would love to know did he intend this to be um, have this sort of uh, lesbian subtext yeah. or is that coincidental Mm. I think, well, in if it's okay wrapping things up then on this one as well, I've got two yeah. questions I want to pose to you guys. Uh, I'll start with the serious one and then I'll end with the fun one. <laughs> okay. um, so I think, do you think then from a queer perspective, the fact that maybe as queer people, we probably have always like lusted or maybe wanted someone that we can't have because maybe they don't identify the same as us or mm. that there is that kind of war built up or I don't know, we're not fully there ourselves with things. Do you think that that is kind of what this is commenting on? Obviously, we don't go as far as tying them up and taping them to an armchair in the middle of the living room, but... I think you might not. <laughs> well, if it's consensual. <laughs> All I'm saying is, do you think that that's maybe what it was trying to to address? Then, do you think it was kind of saying you, you want something that you can't have? So. But she just I, goes that extra mile. I mean, I, I read all these as men telling women how, how they need to 
how yeah. they need to act and warning them not only warning men against other women but also keeping women singled apart from one another and being like trust no one that's how i see it but that's how i see these films apart from maybe gongo but i see them as as ways of it, it might not be the intention whatsoever but the way that it just reads to me is just being like look lads all women are psychos and look ladies you can't trust any of these women with your men so don't yeah. trust any of them so what I love about them is when we do come into it, when queer people do come into it, we do disrupt the f*** out of everything. And it shows that we're a force to be reckoned with. So don't f*** with me. Amen to that. Amen to that. What about you, Zoe? Do you do you see um, it as commented on that? So I don't have a queer reading myself to look at her character and, and, and to look at the film. But what I do have is the, the perspective of... I think that Hedy is a universal type in a way of someone who is experiencing some sort of unrequited love, mm-hmm. um, whether it be whether you want to see it as sisterly, um, familial, or uh, romantic. And I think that that is something that anyone can relate to and, and has experienced at some point. Because I do think that Ali does give off, you know, some mixed vibes in yeah, the film. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there was the, the one thing we haven't mentioned, which is pretty, I say briefly, is where you know uh, Hedy is masturbating with the door wide open, oh, yeah. clearly, clearly kind of inviting, you know, yeah. um, some sort of uh, voyeurism, and 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 Ali kind of, you know, doesn't, you know, entirely step away from that. Mm. So I do feel a little only when she uh, she feels she's going to get caught does she step exactly. away. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so that I is do, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so I do feel that, for me, I can definitely identify with the idea of unrequited sort of feelings because we've all experienced that at some point in our lives. Yeah. All right, what, what was the fun question? The final question then. If someone was living with you and then they came home and they copied your hairstyle, would you be that bothered? Um, you know, I did have a similar experience, but not Ooh. quite. Oh, um, yeah, no, I suddenly just thought about it, but not wasn't quite living with them. But they were in my uh, halls of residence at university. And, oh God, that's uh, where everything you know, bad happens. So yeah. I know, and you know, it was the end of the nineties, and uh, you know, uh, I was still in my goth days, and uh, there was a girl who literally lived in in the flat below. Like she had a room in the uh, bedroom was underneath mine. And she saw me in my goth get up, and apparently she she knocks on every flat to try and find me. And I, uh, yeah, and and I feel now looking back, I I wasn't at all mean or uh, cruel to her, but I felt a little bit freaked by her, and probably she was just looking to make friends but um i think i just found her a little bit a bit intense because yeah she started to dress more like me and and it was all very weird <laughs> oh my god maybe she was listening through the vents if she lived below you maybe that's what was, I mean, she what was good, going on she had good taste in music i should have been a bit more open she, <laughs> yeah. she had a good mode sort of catalogue uh, going on so yeah that's uh, that is that is creepy i think that'd freak me out maybe slightly if I'd... i found that out I'd be fine with it because um, one of my fantasies is to have sex with myself, so. <laughs> I, could, I could fulfill that, so. <laughs> just for people at home, Zoe has just spat out her drink. 
I yeah. think uh, you, you need to watch that 1975 music video, don't you? Um, mm. uh, somebody else. Somebody, yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> It's already done it. Interesting yeah. Really, I, f- I feel like that should be studied, Liam. She should be studied down there. I don't understand it. <laughs> I, I just feel like it would be the ultimate way of being able to take love yourself. yourself. No, not love myself. I don't, get, I don't care about that. The greatest way of knowing what I'm doing right and what I'm doing wrong. Oh, so you're you're taking it from a technique standpoint then? Yeah, yeah, but also, <laughs> but also I mean, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. I think if many people could, they would. Um, so I, I don't and think you're like, that unique on that. that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not you even coming... You just install the mirror and be done with it. Yeah. It's not even coming from like a narcissistic side of things. It's like, it's just literally, I want to know what I'm doing right and what like needs to be improved. I don't want to know who was lying and who wasn't. <laughs> 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 Oh my god, wow. Okay, well, moving on. (laughs) We come to the the final film of the discussion then. So this is going to be 2014's Gone Girl, directed by the incomparable David Fincher. If you can't tell, I do love this man and I love his work. This is described as a thriller mystery and it stars Rosamund Pike as Amy Dunn and Ben Affleck as Nick Dunn, her husband. We also get Neil Patrick Harris, who is an out and proud gay actor uh liam's pulling a face so i'm sure we'll get into that in just a moment this is another film based on a book Mm. i haven't read the whole book but i've i've read parts of the book and i will say i enjoyed very much what i read Uh, it's written by gillian flynn and she wrote both the book and then the screenplay so i think there's a unique kind of thread being pulled through on that one which is which is nice ultimately this is a film about amy who goes missing and as is always with these sorts of cases, uh, the media and society believes that Nick is involved uh, and has murdered her because it's usually the husband. And it takes that clever um, approach of what we expect to, to be happening and then pulling the rug out um, at the last minute and mm. revealing the fact that this has actually all been something that Amy has conspired to do from the start. She's very, very thorough in her, mm. in her plans. And then pretty much turns into basic instinct at the end so i mean it's it's an incredible incredible film i like like crime thrillers and dramas anyway um i think the performances were incredible in this and this again is very much more of a modern retelling i think of this femme fatale character um so Mm -hmm. did you guys watch this film then when this came out because obviously i think we we were all probably going to the cinema and watching films like matters at this point anyway I bought completely into the hype around this film when it came out. There was yeah, um, yeah. so many people talking about it, and I was like, oh, it's got to be good. And I really, I'm not, I'm a huge Ben Affleck fan, but I'm a huge Rosamund Pike fan. And I was like, okay, I'll have to watch it. And I remember leaving the cinema, I uh, went to see it on my own, and then mm. went straight into the foyer and booked in <laughs> another viewing of it. I wanted to, wow. once that reveal was there, I wanted mm. to then watch the film again. And yeah. I was like, I've got nothing on today, so I'll do that. So I've, I am, <laughs> there's not many films that I've done that with, but this is one of them. Really enjoy it. In fact, I want to watch it again tonight. I only watched it last night. 
It is an investment, yeah, um, though, isn't it? It's quite a lengthy film, as is usually the, the case with, uh, with, with Fincher. Uh, what about you, Zoe? When did you watch this? So I think that um, I read the book first, um, Ooh, which okay. I have to admit, I'm sometimes, you know, being more a filmy person, I, I generally do things backwards and, and yeah. watch the film first, then the book. But, but I think the book was a, a huge hit. I think it was a huge success, and it was one of those books that was talked about. So I think I did read the book first. Mm. And, you know, Gillian Flynn then did the screenplay adaptation, and I knew that David Fincher was going to direct it, and being a huge fan of his work, knowing that, you know, one, one thing that David Fincher was able to do is take books, adaptations, uh, you know, with, of, from other things, and mm. turn it into his own kind of work, put his own spin on it. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was excited to see where it would it would go um, with him directing it. I think what I enjoyed about the, the story originally was the fact that some of the other films we've discussed tend to sort of weigh towards, you know, one point of view. Uh, and what I find interesting about this film is that kind of you, you get to find out different characters' motivations and it really is, is cleverly uh, designed to push and pull the audience around. So at times you have empathy for Nick's character and then other times times you can uh, although you might not want to quite go to this to the lengths that amy does you, you have a some understanding of you know and some insight into her psyche as well mm. so, so i do find that that is one of the great strengths of, of the story and uh, and as i said earlier i think that you know amy represents a new kind of femme fatale which is they've always been there to you know make some commentary about gender but i feel like she's definitely um a response to a new kind of patriarchy which is all about you know amy's character is trying to um live up to the the expectations of men she's created this persona for herself Mm. which is meant to be kind of engaging with the terms set out by men um Mm -hmm. so i find that quite interesting Mm. i think as well the fact that she's kind of uh, even in childhood had this level of expectation because yeah. we find yeah. out in the in the story that she she was actually a character of children's books called Amazing Amy so she mm-hmm. was always held up even by her parents and her father in particular to be this incredibly able individual and mm-hmm. I mean that is kind of then that bleeds into her adult life as well yeah. um, and the expectations of her there I, I think it's it's an incredibly clever clever story, and it definitely plays on yeah, obviously what what kind of it means to be uh, a, a woman in in society these days. I think the queer perspective on this is I do think that there is a queer lens to it that it's maybe a queer perspective on modern marital relationships yeah. and maybe how toxic they are. I mean, if we think mm-hmm. about obviously the time equality and, and marriage equality in particular, it was still something that was very much in, in the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Uh, queer people couldn't get married everywhere and obviously things do did change, which is great. But it was still this institution of marriage uh, was seen as this sacred thing. And then this was almost like it threw back the curtain and went, do you know what? These people are suffering with unemployment problems, baby issues, uh, financial strain. And these people who are supposed to be in this magnificent institution, uh, they absolutely hate each other um, and literally look at the lengths that they'll go to to try and get out of this institution. Yeah, it's... All the films we've looked at today is, and this one in particular, it's kind of like shoving that battle against like unattainable perfection. Yes. That society leads us to believe that that's what marriage is and that's what 
having this nuclear family it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's a pinnacle of perfection that everyone needs to strive for. But mm-hmm. this film in particular really strips that back, shows you that the goal that's put on to all of us is not something that's... It, it, it can be attainable, but it's not the perfection that we were promised at all. And it's not for everyone. I'm not hugely well-versed on Finch's work. Uh, well, I never thought I was until I realised I've probably watched every single music video he's directed. Oh, Because, you know, he's, great. he's directed a lot of queer, iconic music videos. Exactly, yeah, um, absolutely. But yeah. yeah. Um, Madonna videos. But, yeah, it was... Um, so I've I've never been a huge, like, controversial, I've never been a huge Fight Club fan, but not to say I don't think it's a good film. It's because there's always been a whole... There's a certain group of fans of Fight Club that I don't want to be associated with. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then after watching this, after watching this, I then went back on that, and then I really like the way that Fincher... Like, the audience that attached to, like, attached to Fight Club, but not the audience that was meant for it, it was supposed to be like, you do realise that you're adding to this problem of hyper-masculinity mm. and all this. Like, well, it's funny that you mentioned that. this because uh, we studied Fight Club, didn't we, uh, at college um, <laughs> yeah. with film studies, and it was exactly that kind of thing about uh, this notion of masculinity and all of that. So mm. it's funny you picked up on that because that was like a... I'm sure, was that for our exam that we did that? Was was Fight Club for our exam? It was. Yeah, yeah. I didn't just do yeah. it for fun, you know. Shame! <laughs> oh, well, I know, I know, I know, but I, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember. That's when you got your A-star for, Liam. <laughs> <clears throat> Thanks for that, Zoe. Did you hear that, folks? I got an A-star, so... <laughs> um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, what what is what is a c- consistent theme throughout Fincher's work is cynicism. And and this is what this film has, is that... You, and, and I really was interested in the points you've just made about... Uh, looking at this film and the institution of marriage through uh, a queer lens because absolutely you know I, I, what I, lo- I love in this film is when we get Amy's point of view because so far you, you felt a little bit of empathy for Nick that mm-hmm. you know um, he's trapped in this sort of now loveless marriage but when we get hers and she goes through the whole monologue about being the cool girl well as you've already mentioned about her her childhood an amazing amy that her whole life's been constructed it she is she doesn't seem to have a core personality and you know she talks she goes through this bitter monologue about conforming to what men want and uh, you know there's even a bit in there of saying uh, skinny uh, burping laughing at kind of rude jokes and and then she even talks about waxing her you know bits red raw you know yeah. and then basically kind of says and and then only to find that you cast aside yeah. and that you're replaced with a newer bouncier younger cool girl and the the cool girl the whole point of the cool girl was that women are not meant to complain that's part of the male fantasy and then she's gone to all these lengths for him she's moved across the country she she's bought him this bar from her trust fund um and you know he's started this extra marital affair with one of his students uh nick's character and and it, it then there comes the revenge because she's gonna kind of uh get her own back on him she she is gonna teach him a lesson for rejecting her efforts and her devotion mm-hmm. you know i think like you said it, it kind of demonstrates in a way that you know people um give their all and it's still mm-hmm. not enough yeah. and uh, you, you, i think you 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 can see that she's a psychopath, yeah. um, but you can kind of, there's a little bit there you can relate to. 
One thing I love about Gongo is I feel like it, to me, it came out at the wrong time. I feel like to me, it would have a bit more of an impact now purely because true crime, like people, like enthusiasts are like, it's like a huge cult following now. Um, Mm. People are obsessed with these true crime things. And this really dissects the way that we latch onto these real life tragic stories and mm-hmm. uh, really questions the sympathy that we have with them and whether it can actually be real sympathy without it being like politicized mm. or whether it's like a cult mentality of who are we actually sympathizing with um there was an article that i read in the new yorker that spoke about this and it says yeah uh, it's whether we can actually feel real sympathy without a media enabled cult of victimhood yeah and it speaks uh, speaks mm-hmm. a lot about that it's a great article uh, and it also it it spoke about this film in a way that I'd never really looked at it before and called it a modern gothic. Um, mm. And then thinking of like, like your classic gothic tales like Wuthering Heights, etc. like that. But um, yeah, they describe it as a modern modern gender poli- politics and gothic theatre mixed together, which really like the idea of, you were talking about like the female victimhood, stuff like that. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. If you want it, it's by Joshua Rothman uh, and it was released October 8th, 2014. And it's an article called What Gone Girl is Really About. It's great because it um, makes a lot of, It does do the whole comparison between this and Fight Club, yeah. but it's really, it goes into those gothic archetypes that... Yeah, that's interesting. I, I wouldn't have necessarily picked up on that, but then hearing you say that, it, it mm. does fit into that in, in some ways. I think as well, linking into that and about the media, I think uh, Missy Pyle plays a character called Ellen Abbott and she's the man-hating reporter. And I think she's a really interesting character in this in this film. Particularly, mm. I, there's like a, a lot of these films um, have kind of like this mirrored quality to them, that like they start a certain way and then they end with almost the same sort of thing happening. Obviously, we've got the ice picking basic instinct. We've got um, the, the shot literally in this film it, at the start with Rosamund Pike looking up and then looking up at the end and Mm -hmm. the way the audience feels at the start and the finish are completely different and I think it's funny that she is a physical representation of that because she hates Ben Affleck's character he's definitely the murderer and then she comes to his house at the end and brings him a gift and is like I'm so sorry sort of thing it is kind of weird we do live in a society particularly you know like with the likes of like Black Mirror and stuff coming out as well like this public um, almost mob mentality like ultimately yeah. kind of seems to decide now who's guilty and of course we've had movements coming in and I think you're right in terms of timing a lot has kind of come out particularly in Hollywood about um, sexual abuse and, and violence and women in particular coming forward about that um, look at the, the whole Johnny Depp case we've it, had uh, exactly, everybody yeah. lauding this just because he's a successful actor who people like in many roles that whole culture that was created like the memes that were coming out of this horrendous like case and just i found the whole thing quite disgusting to be honest yeah and i feel like once you watch if you were to watch this film it kind of like the great commentary on it is the way that we the way that we look at these things like as a society oh i hate using the terms but the way that like (laughs) yeah um But like the whole the the media frenzy that, that that stuff like this creates. But yeah, the the whole I feel like watching this uh, with the context of what's just happened with the the whole Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case, just the sensationalism and the, oh mm-hmm. the way that these people are no longer even though we 
I was speaking about, we do have sympathy for them. There's, it's fake sympathy. It's complete mm. fake sympathy. Mm. If you felt sympathy, you wouldn't be creating funny memes and TikToks about no. this horrendous situation. Mm. Yeah. I think what's, what's problematic about the film is that when the, when it, the book came out and, 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 and the film, I think the uh, author, Gillian Flynn, got quite a lot of backlash especially from women, um, mm. essentially saying you, you've pushed back feminism and she was like, oh my God, you know, um, what have I done? I didn't realise I'd done that. I thought what I was creating was, you know, a story that shows that characters and, and people are not black and white and anyone could be a villain. Mm. And, and I, I think in that sense, the film is, as I mentioned before, is, 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 is very complex and you, you see kind of that there are no... Uh, the binary opposites in this film they they're all a little bit guilty in different mm. ways it's but very what gray, I do, isn't it very muddy it is it is yeah. but what's problematic is that for me is that you you find out you know that nick's had this affair and it's not just been a one-off it's been 15 months um and essentially she feels like she's been you know reduced down to nothing she's moved away from her family um she's left her career behind they've moved back to you know is it michigan um uh but you know midwest western states and and she's given everything to him and he's you know uh you know she's been disregarded but it kind of starts to give you the sympathy that uh obviously she goes to extreme lengths but you can kind of see why she feels like Mm. you know she has been uh rejected uh he's found a younger bouncier uh version of her but then it kind of does something else by introducing, and again, this is a little bit of the gothic thing coming in, that actually there's a back history and yep. that there is another man that mm. she has um, stitched up for, for rape. Um, and uh, then we then see her go through this whole situation where she, she claims the Desi has come to her rescue, which uh, I would like to talk about in a minute, and it's a separate thing, um, that she's been abused by Nick, so he comes mm. to save her. And then she, when she decides that Nick has repented enough on television that she'll go back, um, she then mm. turns Desi into the, uh, th- this abuser who's kidnapped mm-hmm. her. Uh, and and sexually assaulted her repeatedly um that you know it, it kind of uh reinforces it in kind of yeah the, the sort of public psyche that women um kind of frequently sort of report rape uh, falsely um mm. and it, and it actually you know is 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 very very small numbers that you know that that's actually the case so i think it is damaging in that sense that yeah. it kind of shows that women use this power um to to uh, report falsely um on uh, sexual assault um and it yeah. suggests that oh actually she's got a track record for doing this mm-hmm. um, i think that's definitely where yeah. the damage uh, exists i think it's empowering in the way that she is this strong and incredibly intelligent and resourceful character i mean yeah i i, I think I, I read somewhere someone described her as a beautiful psychopath and i do see that because it is so yeah. beautiful it's like artistry the yeah. way that she acts in this film um but I think again it links back to what we said about those societal like roles like the fact that she does do all of this for her spouse and then that's almost then what pushes him away because he can't accept that he's not been able to do that himself leads her then into uh, obviously this this kind of this tale but then yeah the damage comes when we then lean into the fact that she's using 
her power as a as a woman mm. in in an incredibly incredibly controversial way um i mean it's not to say that it doesn't happen but like you said i think this kind of film blows it out of proportion and makes it seem like much more of an issue than it is when the yeah. real issue is people aren't talking about it and aren't actually getting the help and and services that they need you know to like deal with this sort of stuff uh, and I, I suppose it kind of pushes people back into the dark with it it almost kind of says well maybe maybe you shouldn't uh, talk about it um, i think it, it kind of you know for me it definitely uh kind of um exaggerates this this notion of of power that women have over men which in real life is not is mm. not true yeah um having said that i do think that the whole kind of um section of the film with desi's character is interesting uh, I, I, i'm keen to hear your what you think of his character but you know, essentially, Desi is like this high school sweetheart who's never got over her, and and they've maintained this pen pal sort of friendship over the years. And he comes to her rescue. Mm. Um, and you know, I, I think it's quite cleverly played out because obviously he meets a bit of a sticky end, and you realise he's been totally manipulated by her. But mm. I think again, Desi's character reflects some sort of um, patriarchy because. Yeah. Um, you know, what he's doing is appearing, uh, he's white knighting, isn't he? Um, but yeah, he he's, the, he's the nice guy, yeah. Well, he mm. thinks he's the nice guy, but he's, mm. he's, he sets his demands very quickly. You mm -hmm. know, because she's transformed herself into this dowdy version of, a, of, of who she is to try and not be recognised when she's basically, uh, you know, faked her disappearance. And he, he, he set up this, uh, you know, pool house for her, um, this lake house for her to hide in. In the book, it becomes apparent that he's been preparing it for a long time, even before yeah. this came out. So, it, you know, he's mu been much more calculate himself than it appears mm. in the film but you know he comes in he's brought hair dye for her tweezers he's told us to go to the gym there's a mm. bit where she's stuffing herself eating ice cream while they're watching nick's tv interview and he takes it away from her <laughs> yeah. so it's quite clear that he he is one and he says you know you've come to me i've waited all these years you know mm. so now basically you need to give yourself to me so there's a real yeah. sense of entitlement with his character mm -hmm. and uh, and he's he's quite controlling but it's done in that you know i'm i'm your rescuer white knight sort yeah. of way so that so you again you know now uh things like coercive control have become recognized as an offense but you know mm. back then they, it wouldn't have been but desi's character you know represents a, a whole different set of problems i think yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's on the same level as amy obviously Absolutely in terms not. of being a psycho but i think he's like one lick away from being kind of a well, big big yeah, problem like she would be in trouble if she wasn't as resourceful or intelligent as she is and literally like speak to like we all have this thing against you know those guys who they're the nice guy quote unquote mm. so that with that you have to sit like the idea of friend zoning and all that bullshit mm. that he represents that idea um mm. that i absolutely detest i hate people who oh i've been nice to you so because of that you have yeah. to reward me with um, with what I want, and it's just mm. it's a subset of men who I wish were eradicated from this earth. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this term exists uh, in the queer community, but apparently the, the the term being banded about is a soft boy. Yeah, uh, soft boy. they they basically mm -hmm. want to kind of you know project themselves as 
um, I'm a nice guy and the rest of it. But then, you know, th there is an expectation there that they have this mm. entitlement. Yeah. Mm. Mm, absolutely mm. I, I mean I, I think we can't talk about this character without also then talking about his incredible uh, demise and I think very much yeah. so Basic Instinct probably ran in its own way but this one went absolutely balls to the wall crazy with yeah. that notion of of uh, sex and death in uh, in one scene um, I can remember yeah. seeing this at the cinema and just because I hadn't read the book so I, I didn't know what was coming and I can just remember just gasping and just not, cheered. Not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like it reminds me of a scene out of uh hostel too it's it's yes uh, yeah, it's like a yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah it's just yeah it's brutal it's it's i mean it's incredibly well done um and i mean the way that the the music goes again the score mm. is is paramount i think to this Gorgeous. and the the shot kind of fades in and out and you've kind of got like this almost i suppose this frenzied view of the scene like how you'd feel if you were maybe a part of it yeah um it certainly felt like my perspective of it is maybe that's how he felt in that moment like his consciousness is dipping in and out and like he's yeah. seeing flashes of her straddling him and getting off him and, and everything and I, I i mean it's nothing short of i think iconic the whole thing i absolutely loved it and it was i already loved the film i think up until this point but then that just cemented it for yeah. me i was like me, this is incredible yeah the the transformation scenes in this for me were the eye iconic bit when she's like cutting her hair and stuff like that it's just mm. oh my god it's just a testament to what a powerhouse performer Rosamund Pike is yeah she, she is incredible in this the, the way she can yeah. act with just her eyes alone is something to be studied I think mm. she is absolutely phenomenal I would love to see her take some more roles like some Meaty yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen her in anything um, since then like that. But well, no, actually, I tell a lie. She, before that, she did play a Bond girl, didn't she? And she was yes. kind of and again but, iconic, know, getting uh, stabbed yeah. through the Bible in the heart. I was just like, yes, <laughs> I've forgotten that's how she. Uh, yeah, she 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 went. She's in it. She's uh, she's like a, a classic Hitchcockian uh, yes. ice blonde, yeah. isn't she? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to watch, in, uh, I, I care a lot. I was just well. about to yeah, say, sorry, if you want sorry, to watch a great film with Rosamund Pike, I care a lot. Um, yeah. Her okay. Diane Weist, it just yeah. oh, so it just, so good. It's incredible. It's a, yeah, it's a really really good film. But I mean, yeah, to be fair, I'd watch anything with her in. So um, there are a couple that we haven't mentioned today that I just want to like throw out there. If anybody likes mm. the sound of them, um, there's a really great. It, it's so bad, it's good film where they take the idea of the femme fatale and it's camp as well it's called okay. the simple favor and oh oh yeah <laughs> blake lively blake lively anna kendrick anna kendrick, it's, <laughs> anna kendrick. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like anna kendrick yeah yeah it's it's not no, i have a, seen that i have seen yeah. that yeah. it's Paul Feig, great isn't it? film. yeah yeah but the best thing about it is um blake lively's wardrobe um yes. and that's the wardrobe itself is femme fatale on its own just for how yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of the sea bomb, I will go back to Gone Girl. This makes incredible use of the sea bomb towards yes, the it end, does. and I yeah. do love a good sea bomb in a film. Absolutely, <laughs> I do. <laughs> I um, yeah, I feel like this film. Um, you can really feel like there was some input in there that wasn't all man. Yeah, I feel like that's the watching the the other three films that we've discussed um, today. There is that sense of I'm everything's happening, and a bloke's done this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. obviously David Fincher is also a man but like you can feel that there was some input there that wasn't completely masculine and it was really nice it it approached it 
in a way that felt realized it felt like it was talked about mm. it felt like a lived in world and there was perspectives in there that weren't just well mm -hmm. i think um two characters we, we we haven't spoken about um some of the supporting characters um you know so uh ronda boney who plays kim dickens the uh, lead investigator and and although she's so very thorough you know she doesn't jump to the conclusion that nick's mm -hmm. guilty no, yeah. and and then you know in the latter part of the film with before even nick kind of you know confirms it to her she, she's very suspect and she uh she she kind of can see what through what's going on but they know they can't mm. prove it um interestingly enough like uh kim dickens um again is uh she's uh she's gay um in Real life and, and there's a couple of scenes in the film where I think there's one where she's even trying to get Nick to open but she mentions yeah you know I have those issues with my partner and I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity there like yeah. they, they could have brought in more of a, a queer angle but again like you said back in 2014 maybe that they just couldn't think that they could go there. Margot, um, who plays his twin sister Nick's sister as well is you know 100% supportive and on his side throughout the film and makes it clear that she doesn't like Amy so yeah. uh, there isn't really any female solidarity as such other mm -hmm. than the the very sort of vacuous fake TV presenters and yeah. the, 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 <laughs> the, the, the the neighbor that's shown to be very stupid and naive that Amy's manipulated into this false friendship so that she can extract um, you know, like uh, urine to get a, a fake pregnancy test positive <laughs> and to also build this fake life about, you know, her being kind of abused by Nick. So I think they, they complicate things um, and make it more interesting. I also really like Tyler Perry as yeah. Mm -hmm. As the attorney who's basically gonna coach Nick how to get out of you know this because he's he's a bit useless at representing himself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, look, you look smug, you don't look that worried. And uh, I think Tyler Perry's great in that mm. film. Um, I wanna so I wanna shout out Missy Pyle because Missy yes. Pyle is a gay icon and she she's one of the best parts of Galaxy Quest. Well, everyone's the best part of Galaxy Quest. <laughs> I was going to um, say, just Galaxy Quest. Yeah. And um, as Fingy, Veruca's mum, not Veruca's mum, Violet's mum. Violet's mum, yeah. Um, Charlie yeah. Yeah. Battery. She's just a gay icon and all of it. And uh, she has a connection. Uh, she's also in Soul Plane. She's in some of the greatest, <laughs> shittest films ever, and I love her so much. Um, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed going through these films today. Mm. Uh, as I said, it's, um, it tiptoes the line with what, traditional horror i suppose that people yeah. mm -hmm. i feel like it's firmly belongs in our in our community um yeah and it's great to be able to talk about them and not and not, like because like i am very rarely that serious so i will just <laughs> shout about these women and just say they're gay icons every single one of them but um what mm -hmm. i really love about these characters is the way that people haven't latched onto them because they're ultimately yeah. just like queer people. They are the other in mm -hmm. every story they end, they are the other and they're the ones who we really connect to in these stories. And the ones we wait for, for sure. Yeah. Ultimately, the last thing I would say about Gone Girl is that, and, and this is where for me, she is like a femme fatale 2.0 is that ultimately it's Nick's transgressions that are punished because she comes back 
you know, um, has faked this sort of kidnap and now then ends up, we haven't mentioned this, but she gets pregnant through artificial insemination because he's yeah. they tried to, to go through like a fertility clinic earlier. And she, she essentially traps him. And what you he's get... He's now the being sense trapped of, into the institution you, yeah. that they've been escaping yeah. in the previous films. Yeah, you, you get this sense that really at the end of the film, it's Nick's transgressions that are going to be punished because he's the one that's got to stick it out. And mm. that Amy not only gets away with it, but she gains fame, the adoration of millions, and gets the nuclear family happy ending. And I just think that's, uh, you know, that, that that is definitely an involvement of the femme fatale uh, narrative. For sure. I've I've had an absolute whale of a time talking about these uh, these films, um, but as is always, I suppose, with these episodes, I think it's time we maybe talk about some of our recommendations for the month and some of the other cool bits of media or what have you that we've been checking out uh, so far. So as our guest, Zoe, I don't know if you want to kick things off and maybe put the ball in your court. I know you were speaking about one I know Liam is going to love for a fact. So Yeah, so Liam might have more to say about it, but um, so... Uh, last few days I've been watching the uh, Netflix uh, series Sandman um, yeah. and I, I've quite enjoyed that. I was saying to you it's it's a little bit bonkers all over the place and the, some episodes feel almost like a bit Twin Peaks style and then mm-hmm. some of it feels a bit Stranger Things. Um, I haven't read any of the uh, comics but, but I've quite enjoyed it and, uh, you know, um, there's some interesting... Uh, characters and in particular kind of they're playing different demons and stuff the character of desire is quite quite an interesting non-binary performer so well Uh worth watching give it a go neil gaiman's like my hero and sandman comics are like my favorite thing in the world apart from my cat the sandman comics are like my favorite (laughs) thing in the world sandman comics yeah Um, but honestly i'm really happy with the adaptation it's incredible and you're talking about desire uh mason alexander parker's desire is casting genius actually the the cast the whole show is casting genius a quick gone girl throwback boyd holdenbrook plays the corinthian in it and Mm -hmm. i never fancied him in the comics and i do now in real life but god even with your teeth yeah i yeah absolutely um yeah (laughs) yeah um so i've got i've got two recommendations this month they are kind of like queering the femme fatale uh in a way Mm -hmm. So the first one's a book called Yes Daddy by Jonathan Parks Ramage. uh, And it's like a sugar daddy situation gone terribly, horribly wrong. Um, And the next one is Bathhouse by PJ Vernon, which was sold to me as the gay fatal attraction. And it's sick. (laughs) 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 um, Yeah, Bathhouse by PJ Vernon and Yes Daddy by Jonathan Partramage. Yeah, just incredible books. And I'm not really much of like a thriller person. Uh, I mainly Mm. read horror, but they were like insanely good. They did it for um, you. Looking at my Goodreads, uh, I consume them both within a day. (laughs) I can literally put them down. Perfect. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. I think you, I'm sure we've spoken about Bathhouse before, and I mm-hmm. think uh, I, I need to get myself a, a copy. Absolutely. Ordered. Yeah. Um, I've got two recommendations uh, this this month. Um, one of them, I mean, we've kind of spoken about this, but I actually finished watching last night They Slash Them, um, the slasher film from Blumhouse, which is at, set at a queer conversion camp. It's not necessarily a recommendation from me because I think it's been divisive, but. Uh, have either of you seen it? I know you have, Liam. I don't uh, know if you've checked it out It rings about. So. I haven't seen it. Um, 
Well, we've got Kevin Bacon going back to a summer camp uh, with a slasher film. The problem is, is it's not necessarily a slasher film. I did. It doesn't know what genre it wants to be, and it can't get its tone right. I didn't hate it though. I'm going to say that. Like, I I actually did enjoy it. Um, I think it should have been a bit more in the horror genre, and that would have been a lot better. One thing I appreciate that's coming out about it is all the one they cast queer characters, queer actors in queer roles. Um, and the conversation that the cast are having, they've um, teamed up with a charity to talk about the real dangers and horrors of conversion therapy against yeah. LGBT plus people. So that's nice. It's a really lovely like campaign that the cast are doing. But yeah, my recommendation is watch something else. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think my main thing, I mean, again, if, well, a similar sort of thing to that, there is a, a show on Netflix as well called Uncoupled, which I've binged this week, which is by the mm. guy who wrote Sex and the City. Again, it does star Neil Patrick Harris, so I'm not too sure whether you'll enjoy it, Liam. But I will say it's kind of, it was all right. It was a bit annoying in places, but again, it was kind of refreshing to to see a show like that on a platform like that. And it yeah. is basically a gay sex in the city, as far as I'm aware. The thing, though, that I implore people to watch um, is a show called The First Lady. And uh, again, I've watched this the whole way through this last uh, week or so. So we've got Viola Davis as Michelle Obama, Michelle Pfeiffer as Betty Ford, and Gillian Anderson as Eleanor Roosevelt. What a cast! It it tells the story of the first ladies, uh, obviously, uh, of America. And although they're set decades apart, Mm -hmm. there's a synergy to all these stories. They're going through similar sorts of things. And surprisingly, I didn't know this, obviously I'm not too brushed up on my American history, there is a queer storyline very much at the heart of one of these first ladies. So um, I I can't fault it. I've absolutely thought it was riveting. It's such a a great TV show. Um, So definitely check that out. And also, we love strong women on this podcast, so there we go. And those three, (laughs) like, those three actresses are... You know, if this doesn't get, like, nominated, if it doesn't get nominated, I'm going to absolutely riot, like give them the Emmys please it's uh yeah it's an incredible show have you seen it Zoe or have you not no I haven't but no you've you've sold it to me and uh you know I think um you know it would be nice to see Michelle Pfeiffer have a bit of a revival yes, um, she is incredible yeah. in this That's she's so so good yeah her, her yeah. Betty Ford is something else um also not totally hated American Horror Stories so far I know our last episode covered American Horror Stories I think the first two episodes were really good it's mm. kind of gone a little bit downhill since then but I still haven't watched we'll any say. of this season oh I, I think need, I think no, you'll be pleasantly surprised particularly the first a, episode I just needed a breather just needed, <laughs> needed a break um absolutely but uh, moving on then uh, as we always do from one horror story to another it's the mm. time that you've been looking forward to Zari it's the real uh-huh. life horror hookup story uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not sure what to expect. I'm bracing myself, but yeah. I'm hoping we don't get too many bodily fluids on this one because that seems to be a running theme. Um, so yeah, make sure that you don't eat anything before Liam starts. <laughs> it's all, I, all I'll say. Hi, boys. I'm going to first apologise for two things. One, for being straight. I wish I could change that. Two, for what you're about to read. Oh, no. Recently divorced and loving life, I decided to dip my toe back into the dating pool. I joined Tinder because that's what everyone else was doing at the time. I thought, what's the worst that can happen? I wade through a cesspit of men holding fish, 
Awful bios and cheesy chat up lines. When in comes Rodrigo, 27, tall, dark, and handsome, and a killer smile. Now, I don't usually go for a younger man, but this was a fresh start for me, and I needed some vitality in my life. We agree to meet up for some drinks at a local bar, and we hit it off straight away. He is charming, he is flirty, and he has an arse that you could bounce pens on. I'm feeling the best I have in years, um, stuck in a loveless, sexless marriage, and a bottle of tequila helped, so I invite him back to my place. It was full of fiery European passion. We are at it as soon as we come through the door. We barely make it to the bedroom when he picks me up and throws me onto the bed. Big mistake. Huge. There's a horrible screech. And from under the duvet crawls my adorable Bengal cat, Isis. Oh no. No <laughs> way. I landed right on top of him. Isis comes out limping. I start crying and I don't know how to react. It's a mixture of hormones, divorce, and tequila. I ask Rodrigo to leave. He leaves. The next day I take my cat to the vet and it turns out she had a trafficking leg. <laughs> Every time my cat looked at me from his her cone of shame and her bandage, I felt guilty. I deleted Tinder straight away. I have not been on since. That's it, short but sweet. Can we coin the phrase cat cruncher instead of bunny boiler? Is that is that is that a sitting? Cat yeah, that I, takes I it to a whole new level. It's um, so they were don't mind showing us because the, I haven't said who they are, but this is an ex colleague of mine, and she told me about this when we were at work, and I was absolutely pissing myself. So <laughs> I, I reached out to her. I was like, I reached out to her. I was like, I'm doing like a femme fatale episode, and I really want like, you know. Because like her story is a bit like cougarish and all that, and I was like, I really want your story. I was like, would you mind writing some stuff down for me? She and literally is a fatal woman. <laughs> and I was like, I will. I'll make sure it's no one will know it's you. I was like, but it's such a good story, and she has such a knack of telling stories. I was like, I need it in your words. You so, yeah, it, um, yeah. so yeah, thank you. Rodrigo threw her onto the bed, but straight onto a couch. My bed. God. So I will allow a straight story on here um, because I really enjoy that one. Poor Isis. <laughs> is Isis okay though now? Has Isis made a full recovery? Yeah, 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 yeah. Isis okay. is poor now. Yeah. Okay, perfect. As long as the cat's okay, like I said. <laughs> Imagine that's how you get woken up as a cat though. Yeah, having a lovely, <laughs> having a lovely nap and then all of a sudden you've got... <laughs> Just get body slammed by your owner. <laughs> Oh, I wonder how Rodrigo's doing. I wonder if he ever felt guilty for it. He should do. He's probably opened a cat sanctuary somewhere. I imagine that's... <laughs> Rodrigo, yeah. if you're listening out there, I expect a donation made to Cats Protection in your <laughs> Yeah. Incredible. But oh. if, you, if you liked uh, hearing that, you can submit your own hookup horror stories. Uh, you can email us at theirqueerpodcast.com. Or you can DM us on social media. If you find me and DM me, um, that's where most of the submissions are sitting in my inboxes. Um, <laughs> there's some good ones out there I can't wait to share with the world. But yeah, 
I, I always want more. And plus, it's nice to read when I'm sat at home sometimes. And I just fancy Just giggling to yourself. Yeah. And also, <laughs> make sure you include whether you want it anonymous or not, because that's a big thing that yes. some people haven't been doing. Mm-hmm. And I've had sure. Chase, chase up. Yeah, we need consent, guys. Um, but no, thank you. That was a... Although it was harrowing, that was a pretty tame one, I will say. So I, was, yeah. I imagine we're going to get a disgusting one again next month. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you for <laughs> for an awesome, awesome episode, guys. Thank you so much, Zoe, as well, for, for joining yeah. us today. I can't I tell you how you. much I've enjoyed chatting about stuff. It's been incredible. It's been really good. Uh, I've really, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, I, I'd love to come back sometime, especially if you do uh, decide you are doing the Lost Boys properly. I think, honestly, at this point, I think we're going to have about 18 people on the, <laughs> on the podcast episode of <laughs> Lost Boys. <laughs> so many people love it. Well, but talking of, yeah. I, I must say, so this last month has been incredible for myself personally. Oh, I went shut to, up. I went to London. <laughs> and uh, went to Lost Boys Pizza, which, if you've not been, Zoe, is incredible. I Liam, saw that you'd gone there, and I was thinking, great. is it just a coincidence, or is it actually got a link to the film? Like... Oh, yeah, it's linked to the film. Right. I bought these it... things. <laughs> What's so what, what... They're just oh, little incredible. pens, but they're, they're cute. What, okay. what, what is it about, then? So you go, and it's just basically Lost Boys themed, like, inside. The pizzas are charcoal black as well, um, <laughs> and they cut them like pentagrams, which is everything. Mm. There's So I went on a Wednesday, and this is a tip for any of the listeners, uh, right. not sponsored, but if you go on a Wednesday, they release a password on uh, Instagram. And if you whisper that to the waiter or waitress, you get two for one on your pizzas and happy hour cocktails. Or you nine. might have said that this isn't sponsored, but Lost Boys Pizza, if you are listening. Yeah, if you are listening, yeah. please sponsors because it was incredible or just invite me down um yeah well it was just coincidence because it was just around the corner from our hotel uh, like it was literally 10 minute walk away so i was like do you know what i'm, I'm gonna, i need I'm to um go. i need to get on that savvy pre-order thing for the um yeah. special edition they're releasing of last oh yeah there's a nice box set coming out postcards and stuff inside which i need oh god I love yeah. last place. another thing though mm-hmm. i met charity shops here at pride <gasps> and she bought me a drink she yeah. bought me a shot. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> so I, I had, I, you were invited, Liam. You should have been there, um, but um, it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, I get the sense that you're, you're rubbing his nose in it. In I it. definitely am. Yeah. I definitely it's, am. Well, she's uh, an it icon. Awful, she's my I'm, femme fatale. I'm like, <laughs> I'm almost prided out because my job means I have to go to quite a few prides, and it's not a bad thing. But like, I'm, I'm so tired in the moment. Once, <laughs> yeah. I, it's almost yeah. done it's almost over almost done just one more pride that i've got to go and work it's all yeah. Good. yeah is that it is that all you've got left now derby pride's the next one i've got to work and then i don't have any more prides this year derby That's pride it. if anyone's listening 10th september marketing park Wait. there you go details Wait. but uh yes Thank you so much, Zoe, for, for joining us. Yes, I just wanted you. to gloat for a moment thank in the public you. eye. But yeah, we definitely need to get you back at, um, at some point. Um, Absolutely. I would love to come back. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm very, very excited for next month's episode as well. Um, <sighs> next too. month is um, it's well, Bisexual month, Visibility yeah. Month, isn't it? So. It is. It's a month just for the bisexuals. And um, <laughs> we would be complete fools not to be able to tap into that 
and discuss the film that made most people of this generation bisexual. Yeah. And that is The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. Oh, we're going um, we're going to go there. We're going to go with The Mummy yeah, Returns. Yeah, because that made me question whether I was 100% a homo or not. <laughs> oh, um, an axe yeah. and a moon, that whole f- yeah, okay, it's, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah we'll get into it. But yeah, we'll be discussing The Mummy and The Mummy Returns. We won't be discussing the dragon prince emperor thing um because <laughs> no Rachel Vice. No. Um but a sexy Alex though. Okay, right. Anyway, but yeah, we've been discussing this film because um, they are incredible. Brendan Fraser deserves the world. Yeah, we'll be discussing that. So for all the all the bees and the peas out there, I suppose this that, that, this one's going to be for you. Um, if you've enjoyed our episode today, um, I have created an amazing femme to tell playlist for you all listen to. It's um, it's some of my favourite songs and artists from the nineties that are all like it's so we're good. talking. There's Portis Head on there. There's some York. There's yeah. There's some PJ Harvey on there. There's some Tori Amos. <laughs> um, just incredible, incredible songs to get you in the mood to seduce and kill a man. So <laughs> I don't think we need to say anything else yeah. really, do we? That, no, that's sold itself. Well, that's yeah. sold itself. So thank you again for listening, as always, guys. And I'm going to leave it with Zoe to sign us out for this episode. So until next time, remember that closets were not made for people. They were made for monsters and babysitter killers. Yay! Goodbye! Nailed Bye. it in one. Bye. Well done. <laughs> the real Femme Patel right there. <laughs> <laughs>